Yo, Phillies Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 25. I'm Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com, where you can go today to get all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and more. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation, Twitter at philliesnation, Instagram at philliesnation underscore. You can find the Phillies Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. So this week is the season recap, review, look back, put grades on players, performances week. We have a huge show for you today. It's going to go very long, so buckle up. We have... Coming up, our friends from Phillies Nation, Kirsten Swanson, Michael Sadowski, and Corey Sharp. They're going to give grades on Phillies player performances in 2017. And we also have Dan Walsh coming up in a few minutes to talk about the Phillies, the bigger picture for 2017 and 18 looking forward. We also have Matt Breen from Philly.com, Philadelphia Inquirer, Daily News coming on to also talk about the season and what he saw as a beat reporter following this team. We'll also look forward to 2018 with him. And there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, the Phillies finishing off the 2017 season with a flourish, some big wins, some good wins. And, of course, the big news over the weekend, a lot happening in the the last week. Pete McCannon will not return as Phillies manager in 2018. That was announced on Friday. I was away, and I did not hear the news immediately, so it kind of caught me off guard. But... The news came out on Friday. Pete McCannon will not return as manager of the Phillies. In fact, reassigned to a special advisor position for the general manager, Matt Klintak. So that's good for McCannon. He'll get to, you know, advise McCannon and and, uh, President Andy McPhail on what's happening with the team and maybe give some opinions and be part of the general strategy with how to keep guys developing and all of that good stuff. And If that's good for him, then that's good for us. And honestly, before anything else, McCannon, from all intents, from everything we've heard, he's a very classy guy and accepting everything with, uh, you know, with poise and grace. And he's he's been nothing short of a good role model for the young guys on this team. And he did a great job in the overall scheme. You may have things to say about his way he sort of worked out lineups and, and you know, how he configured the bullpen and his in-game management strategies. But overall, handling a clubhouse, McCannon did a very, very good job. He worked with a lot of young guys who were just starting in the majors. Before that, he had to come in and step in when Ryan Sandberg just pieced out in the middle of the 2015 season. And he came in, assumed control. The team played better in that second half, as you recall. And in 2016, with a full season, he was able to navigate some very tough waters. The Ryan Howard situation was able to kind of come out the other side of that. He was able to get some of the younger guys mixed in in the pitching staff. And then this year, he did a really nice job bringing those young guys into the fray piecemeal and making sure that each one had some moments where they could sort of learn on their own instead of having five or six guys at one time kind of come into the game or come into the league, I should say. He was able to work with the front office and work with the clubhouse and just ensure that these kids got the best development possible. And I think you could say to a man that the young kids who came up with the Phillies in the second half of the season, every one of them has performed better than expected. So McCannon has to be congratulated for that work. 
there was some stuff early in the season with Joaquin Benoit and the bullpen management. But I think a lot of that might actually be Joaquin Benoit, the way we look at it from now far away. You can see that there were no other problems with the clubhouse. And obviously everybody in the clubhouse loved him. Freddie Galvis really appreciated him. Cesar Hernandez, you know, the guys who've been around even longer, Cameron Rupp. But he also really was a role model to the young guys. So great work by McCannon as sort of the steward for this new generation. And yeah, I wouldn't have been that upset if they kept McCannon for 2018. I thought he did an admirable enough job to stay on board and to see through the next level of the rebuild. But clearly Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail have other ideas. And I think just from my sort of outside looking in view that potentially they already know who they want to bring in. And there have been names, some some names banded around. And of course, the big name that's been banded around is Buck Showalter, who has worked with Matt Klintak, has worked with Andy McPhail, long relationship with both of them. Both guys uh, love what Buck Showalter brings to the game. Currently, he's with the Orioles, and he's signed under contract through 2018. So it's not as if Showalter would immediately be able to come in, but if the Phillies were to bring him in, they'd have to give the Orioles something back uh, because there would be a breach in contract there. But Showalter, veteran manager, but he's also very adept to change and doesn't mind looking at how things are changing in the game to be a better manager and to develop his kids in a different way. So, And Showalter has a great track record of working with young teams and getting them to a place where they can be great teams. He did that with the Yankees. He's done that with the Orioles. Uh, he's got this really great track record. So Showalter would be an interesting choice if the Phillies were to go there, but that's just been rumor. Other names, of course, include Dusty Wathen, who was the manager in Lehigh Valley this past year. Reading two years ago has had a great track record working with the Phillies prospects and has worked with this young crop of guys, Nick Williams, J.P. Crawford, Jorge Alfaro, Reese Hoskins. He's worked with all of them on a very, very uh, serious level. So Wathen would have to be someone that would be on the short list here. It'd be interesting to see if they went that way. He has never been in the major leagues as a manager or as a coach, and he just joined the Phillies as a coach in September. So there are, you know, I'm sure the rumor mill would be flying if he were to uh, be be thought of, and I'm sure the Phillies are thinking of him, but we'll see. That's a very interesting choice because he would never had experience in the first place in the majors, but we'll see if that is something that the Phillies want to do. Other names that people have talked about include Joe McEwing, who, former Major League player, uh, has been with the White Sox for a number of years now, and he's a local guy, so I guess that's the connection. But I don't necessarily see a Joe McEwing coming in, sort of a left-field candidate like that. If they were to go with a left-field candidate, I think the Phillies would probably prefer a more experienced Major League manager type who has uh, some thoughts that, you know, change is good. You know, not a traditional kind of manager, but more of a change is good manager. And I don't know if a young guy who has never really been a manager in the, ma- in the Major League level um, and just has a local connection would be the guy that they would bring in. But who knows? Maybe he does make the short list. You know, there have been other names banded about as well. I mean, uh, Juan Samuel, of course, the third base coach of the Phillies, been with the organization for a long time. But I think Juan Samuel would just be sort of the old guard continuing to be able to rule. You know, I, I honestly don't want to see Larry Boa on the staff anymore. I think I'm, I, you know, Larry Boa has his positives. He does bring an energy and a gruffness to the team that maybe other teams need especially with young kids, but I'm kind of done with Larry Boa being in the, in the dugout. I think the team needs to move on from that sort of phase and that sort of uh, era of Phillies baseball. CSN Philly put Ruben Amaro Jr.'s name in, in the list of guys who could be considered. 
I would be very surprised if the Phillies were to bring back Rube for a manager role. I don't think that's going to happen on this club. I think Ruben finds his way into a manager role somewhere else, but I don't think he's coming back to Philadelphia, at least right now. Obviously, he has roots. Obviously, he's been with the organization forever, and it makes sense, but we're only a couple years out of him leaving as GM, so I, I just don't think that would happen at this moment. I think uh, the fans would have a very interesting take on that. You know, Ron Gardenhire's name's been out there. Mike Sosha's name's been banded about just because he's local as well. Brad Ausimus, who was fired as a Tigers manager, uh, could be potentially put into this role. You know, Ausimus didn't do a good job with the Tigers. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if uh, he'd be the right guy for this team. I think Ausimus is kind of in the same realm as a McCannon. You know, he's worked with a lot of young guys in a bad situation. I think you're looking for a guy who can sort of be a leader of men. And not just be a nice guy who can work with the guys, but also you know light a fire under their butts and be a decent tactician. So I think you're you're looking for that kind of guy for the next role, and you want a guy who you think can lead this team to a World Series. That's the bottom line. You know now they're at the role where, you know now you're looking for your Charlie Man, maybe not your Charlie Manuel, because I think Manuel is more of we have a good team here, we just need the right guy to kind of push push us over the top. I think you're looking for like a, a Fergosi, you know, someone like that, uh, a guy who can sort of light a fire under someone's butt. Jim Fergosi, who, of course, managed that 93 Phillies team, you know, someone who can not only be a player manager, but also know when to step in and say, hey, guys, it's time to move it. Terry Francona, who's one of the maybe the best managers in the last 25, 30 years, you know, that kind of manager, you know, who thinks out of the box, but is also really, really smart and, and works with players well and then knows how to get them to perform at a high level. I think the Phillies have a very interesting offseason ahead of them with that decision. And then, of course, with the trades and and the roster and how they're going to build this 2018 team. Some of the pieces are in place. Reese Hoskins probably going to be the first baseman next year. J.P. Crawford at shortstop. Nick Williams, Aaron Altero, Dubo Herrera, very likely the outfield. Jorge Alfaro, probably the catcher. Now, they could make some moves to kind of shake that up. Maybe they bring in a, an outfielder like a Christian Yelich, but that means you'd have to move someone like an Odubel Herrera or Nick Williams or Aaron Altair. I don't know if that's going to happen because I think this Phillies organization wants to see these kids develop just slightly more before they make any big moves there. But I think they're going to make a move with someone like Cesar Hernandez, who had a fantastic season, by the way. I think Cesar needs to be applauded. 294, 373, great OBP, 421 slug, which is pretty good for Cesar. Six, uh, six triples, 26 doubles, nine homers, 34 RBI, scored 100, scored 85 runs for a bad team, 150 hits, good season, really good season for Cesar. The defense has been pretty good, above average, I think I would say, although his position flexibility is very low to nothing at all. His base path problems are the big problems, obviously, 15 stolen bases for him, five caught. He should have stolen more bases. He should have tried more. But that said, Cesar had a great year at the plate, and I think he deserves to be a starting player somewhere, whether it's with the Phillies or someone else, and I think the Phillies should be wise in trying to deal him for some kind of value in the offseason. Otherwise, who are they going to deal? Cameron Rupp? Probably not for much. Tommy Joseph? Probably not for much. Freddie Galvis? It'd be interesting to see what they do with him. Maybe they move him along, but maybe they make him sort of the super utility guy, a la Andres Blanco, leader of the team, has been around for a long time, can work with the young guys, knows them all. That could be a nice sort of transition for the Phillies as they have a new manager and potentially new coaching staff. Didn't even mention that. I got to imagine that the new manager on this team will bring in a new coaching staff. And I hope so, honestly. I think the Phillies just need a new clean slate in the managerial staff. If they're going to do this, just do it big. 
You know, like I said, I think it would have been fine if McKinnon came back this year. I think he did a nice enough job. But that they did it, I'm actually happy with that too. And I think they could go with a clean slate on the on the coaching staff and work with these young kids and, you know, have a new sort of relationship and bonding with these guys and fusion. And maybe it'll work out into a playoff berth in a year or two. That would be fantastic. So a lot of decisions for the Phillies to make in the offseason. Obviously, the big one might be pitcher. If they bring in a starting pitcher to work with Aaron Nola as a top-of-the-line starter, that would be nice. But if that doesn't happen, I think they should at least have two guys who can be middle-of-the-rotation stalwarts to be in this rotation because the Phillies do need three good starting pitchers next year. Nola's one of them. They need two more. And then they can figure out what they have with a Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin, Jared Eikhoff, who, you know, had a tough year this past year, but I think still deserves another shot on this team. Ben Lively, who's more of a sort of number five starter kind of type. Uh, you know, maybe you get Mark Leiter Jr. another chance. I don't know. He's more of a long man kind of type or even a quadruple A guy. Um, you know, who knows? Tom Eshelman next year maybe comes up and, and dazzles some people out of AAA. That'd be great. Scott Kingery might be coming up uh, spring training. We'll see what happens there. A lot of decisions for the Phillies to make in the offseason. We have a very interesting one coming up. Exciting. It's going to be great. By the way, the Phillies are exciting. 11 nothing win to finish off the year against the Mets on Sunday. That was an awesome game. Boy, you could have seen... I think the only thing they missed is a Reese Hoskins homer. He finished out the year a little bit soft, obviously didn't hit a home run for the past kind of three weeks, but he still finished with an OPS over 1,000, which is amazing. Uh, but Hoskins was great, but the only thing you missed was a home run from him in this game. Otherwise, Nick Williams with the inside the park home run. Come on! Running the whole way, had a great season, finished it off really well. 12 home runs, 55 runs batted in, 288 average, 338 OBP, which is good to see, and the 473 slug, which is quite good too. Struck out 97 times, that needs to come down a little bit. 20 walks, but a great start to a career for Nick Williams, who I think showed everybody that he belongs in the major leagues into the future. Aaron Altair had a nice game and has had a great season. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Michael Franco with another home run. He finished off with a flurry of home runs this year. 24 of them, 76 runs batted in. Still had really bad averages. 230, 281 OBP, which is has to be better. Has to be better. 409 slugging percentage. Again, has to be better if you're going to be in the middle of the lineup guy. Question is, what are we going to do with Franco next year? I think the Phillies should at least keep him next year because maybe his value comes back up. Maybe he can have a really hot start to the season. Maybe this last part of the year lit a fire in his butt. He'll get healthy, or not healthy. He'll get he'll get in shape in the off season. Uh, you know, he'll start working on his hitting, his approach, and maybe he'll come back next year and have a great start. And the Phillies can maybe dangle him for a trade then, or maybe they'll say, hey. We'll keep you on board for the rest of the way here and see what you can do. But otherwise, I don't think you get anything from Franco in the offseason. If you're going to trade him, no point in doing it. Let him stay on board. They don't need to change third base yet. They don't need to bring in Manny Machado yet. They can wait another year for that kind of guy. Right now, let's see what you got with Franco. But the questions have been answered. We know that we now have guys like Crawford, Hoskins, Alfaro, Williams, Herrera, Altair. These guys are part of the future here in 2018. Unless they make a big move, I think it's pretty sure that these guys are going to be part of that future. The pitching staff, you need to work out some things there, obviously. Nola, what else is there? Maybe two guys to you know be alongside him. You have Pavetta, you have Velasquez, you have Eikhoff. You're going to see what you have with those guys. Eflin, obviously, Lively. Eshelman, we'll see what happens. Thompson, Jake Thompson had a good end of the season. Maybe he gets his shot. We'll see what happens there. They still have questions to answer with the starting rotation. 
bullpen finished out really, really strong. Victor Arana was great. Hector Neris, of course, had a great finish. Luis Garcia was fantastic. Adam Morgan struggled in his last uh, opportunity there, but had a really good end of the year. Victor Arano, as I said, pitched well. Ricardo Pinto had a really nice finish there. And Yaxel Rios was really good at the end of the year. Good to see him get his uh, finish uh, strong there. He finished very strong. Uh, looking at his numbers, Yaxel Rios, who didn't really get a lot of time there at the end. Just 13 games, but he finished with a 4-4-1 ERA. The 17 strikeouts are really what are most interesting there. Nine walks, but 17 strikeouts in 16 innings for Yaxel Rios is really good. Hobie Milner was great as well. So the Phillies have a working bullpen for 2018. That's good to see. Adebay Ramos was also good. Can't forget him. This is a working team in 2018. It's exciting. There's a lot to be looking forward to. Now that I'm done talking, and I'm sure you're done with my voice, well, you're going to hear more of me in a second. But I want to bring in Dan Walsh. We're going to talk about the 2017 Phillies. Instrumental break. So let's get into it. I'm going to bring in Dan Walsh, who I don't know if you know Phillies fans, but there's another podcast on the Phillies Nation podcast, at least if you look on Apple Podcasts. It's called Playing the Rube. We do it every other week uh, in alternation with this one. And it's me and Dan playing as the 2009 Phillies on Out of the Park Baseball 2018. If you've never heard of Out of the Park Baseball, it's a really cool simulation game on your computers. Uh, if I haven't made you turn off the podcast already, uh, this is Dan. Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tim. How are you? I- I'm good. So um, after the shameless plug for our other podcast, I-, I felt like I wanted to bring you in to kind of talk about sort of the big things, uh, of the big th- themes, I should say. I'm getting my THs all mixed up of 2017 um i guess overall like yes the phillies suck this year and we're we're recording this before the season ended so we don't know if they had the worst record in baseball or the second worst or the third worst and if they got to 100 losses or not we're not sure but all told they sucked but was it in any way a successful year for the phillies well, if you had asked me the same question around the All-Star break, it would have been very depressing. The, the avenues that we went down to answer it would have been very depressing. But in the last month or so, there's been a lot of optimism. And I think that you spell optimism uh, with the letters Reese Hoskins, I think. You've got to spell uh, that Reese out. Hoskins. You can't, you can't just, you got to spell it out. <laughs> I'm not going to spell it out. We don't have time for that. Right. I have a life I'm trying to live here. But... <laughs> Um, no, Reese Hoskins is, I mean, he's just one player and we want to talk about big picture, but his promotion in conjunction with how well Nick Williams has been playing, uh, and you know, the fact that Odubel Herrera's has had a good second half, JP Crawford turned around in his second half. Um, we're starting to have that optimism again that we had carried into the season and then it just completely dissolved in the first half of the season. But now I think there's more optimism about the state of the rebuild. And that's, to me, the biggest question this season, the biggest story this season was always going to be, where are we in the rebuild? Yeah, I said this last time on the Phillies Nation podcast, and I'm going to repeat it now, and I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about it now. I feel like the Phillies were three different teams this year. They had the April-May team that was just garbage and you know, we had, remember, remember Michael Saunders in the outfield and Howie Kendrick in the outfield and, you know, all the different players that we had on this team early on in the year. And then we had the second team in June, July, where 
there was some transition with Nick Williams coming up and in, uh, not Andrew Knapp, Jorge Alfaro came up, I think, at the end of that run. Um, it was right before Reese came up, you know, and the team was playing better around the All-Star break. And now we have this third team that really started with the Reese Hoskins call up. And I had written back in September 4th after Labor Day that the Phillies had finally turned the corner. And now we're seeing the new era Phillies when J.P. Crawford was called up and they had that. I mean, they lost against the Mets, but they had a really fun ninth inning that I really enjoyed a lot. So this team looks a lot different than it did the start of the year. And you're right. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting for rebuild, rebuild, rebuild to finally sort of surface. And here we are. And now you can point to, I'd say, like half of the offense as part of next year's team and really future teams. And the pitching staff still has a way to go, but... Yeah, it seems like there's this entirely new thread of optimism that we've been able to sort of feel over the past couple months that back in May, we would have never seen that coming. Yeah, I remember earlier in the season when I would do the the series previews, there was one series preview where after each game, I looked on TV Guide and told our readers what they should be watching instead of the Phillies. And then as the season went on, I, I did another series preview where I said, you know, at least tune in when Nola pitches, at least tune in when Nick Williams is at the plate. But now in the final weeks of the season, it feels like it's worth watching the entire game. And that's a feeling that we didn't have for months at a time this year. Yeah. And speaking of Nola, and this is a nice transition to sort of the questions that we needed to answer this year. There were a lot of questions that, I think a lot of us had about young players on the organizational roster, not just the 25 man roster. And Aaron Nola was one of those very prominent names that we still didn't know about because he clearly had the ability to pitch well, but the injuries had derailed him a lot. And even this year it started that way, but he's put together a, a fine season, 175 strikeouts going into Monday, uh, he's currently, we're actually, the game's on Monday night, and they're losing right now, and Noel's not pitching very well, but he's having a good year. His ERA is sub four. He's, you know, not walking as many batters. He looks like a real piece for the future. Um, anybody else that you think on this roster that you would think maybe they deserve an extension or some sort of front office, you know, like, like, understanding that this guy's going to be around for a while. Are there any players on this roster besides Nola that you could point to and say, oh, now we have a piece for down the line? Another name that I've heard in discussions in the last few weeks is Jared Eikhoff. And I don't know if he's being included in that conversation just because he's also a pitcher, a young pitcher behind Nola or what. Um, He's in that stage of his career where it might make sense. But given the fact that he had this a tough season this, this season, he didn't reproduce the success that he had in his first few seasons with the club. Um, it, it's hard to put a value on him specifically that's fair for him and the team. Um, so, so I'm not sure. I mean, uh, that's like like I said, that's the only name that I've been hearing mentioned most. But but I, I don't know if it's really something that's going to happen this particular season. Maybe in the middle of next season. Yeah, I mean, pitching is really an entirely. They're on a much slower track than the offense right now. Um, you know, I see Eikhoff as, you know, he, he's, he's had moments where he's been quite good, but he's also probably more of like a four starter and does a team who's losing 90 games or what have you a year, do they need a four starter locked up? I don't know if they need that. Um, 
So I think pitching is on its entirely different course where I would imagine that they go out in the offseason and get some pitching because they need to obviously get some real major league pitching up here and then still try their hands with guys like Pavetta and maybe Ben Lively and maybe Jake Thompson and maybe they're going to give Vince Velasquez one last try, whatever. But, I mean, I look at the offense and I wouldn't give – I wouldn't like – there, there's like a school here. Like if you want to be Tampa Bay Rays like and give Reese Hoskins a 10-year contract right now and just sign him for a really low amount of money and you know make sure you lock him up, that's a school of thought. You could also do that with maybe Nick Williams or even J.P. Crawford. But if you're the Phillies historically who don't usually do that, I don't know if there's anybody yet offensively who you would sign that kind of contract for or even like a long-term deal a la Odubel Herrera. Maybe Cesar Hernandez, but... I feel like Hernandez is probably gone in the offseason, right? I think so, too. Nobody seems to be banking on Hernandez being here next season. Obviously, um, there's Scott Kingery behind him. I don't know if Scott Kingery is 100% ready to start in the majors next year, but uh, Freddie Galvis makes Cesar Hernandez a little more expendable, especially because Cesar Hernandez in a trade would bring back more than Galvis does. And so maybe that's one way for the team to acquire more pitching. I mean, do you think that this is the end of the line for Galvis? I mean, not like as a Philly, but as certainly it's weird. This has been a weird year with Galvis because his offense is still bad. And at least his on-base percentage is over 300 now. Congratulations, Freddie. His defense has been fantastic, obviously. But everybody seems to love his clubhouse. Like, he's the leader in the clubhouse, and everybody seems to, like, talk about them I in the media. He seems to talk about that ad nauseum as if they're trying to find a way to, like, let us know that Galvis should be here. I don't know. It fe- like, it's been a weird year where the media has felt like talking to us about how good Freddie Galvis is. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. I think that going along with all those positive traits that you covered, he's also a very charismatic person. He has a very good yeah. reputation as being a nice guy to be around. And so obviously that's good for the writers who have to write about him because he's a pleasant guy for them to talk to. But it also, it does pay dividends in a clubhouse, especially one that's undergoing such transformation within just this season alone to have that guy who's been there longer than everyone else and to have him be, you know, something, a person that they can kind of rally around. Um, yeah. but, but again, his, his bat doesn't play. I don't think that he's the type of player who is a starter on, on you know, a starting position player, an everyday player, on a good team, despite his defense, just because the bat is so poor. No, I, 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 I don't have a problem. I, I don't want to like make people think that I have a big problem with Freddie Galvis because I don't. His offense stinks. I mean, let's just be real here. But yeah, the leadership he supplies and he is the connection to like the Chase Utley, Ryan Howard Phillies, which or Jimmy Rollins. You know, guys can sort of point to Galvis and say, "Oh, he, he knows what it was like when those guys were around and what Philly was like," and he could talk about that. So I it's like I see the I see the value in him, and I see the value in him next year as sort of a utility slash you know starts a couple times a week kind of guy, a la Andres Blanco, a better version of Andres. I guess a better version of Andres Blanco. By the way, Blanco, I, where the hell did he go this year? Like he he went like seen him play in a long time. I feel like like his pitching this year was the only thing that mattered. Um, <laughs> but like. I could see Galvis having that kind of value next year, and I think it'd be nice to have him in sort of that role. I just hope that Pete McCannon doesn't overuse him or rely on him too much when you have, like, J.P. Crawford needs to start every day next year. 
And I honestly believe Michael Franco needs to get one more chance next year, and that means starting every day at third base or almost every day because if he's got no value right now. There's no point in getting rid of him right now. Um, but what do you think about Franco? I'm completely mystified by him still. Early in the season, I remember uh, we were talking around May about how his his numbers, you know, his superficial numbers were poor, but everything under the surface suggested better things to come, right? That some that he was getting a little unlucky, but he was still having smart at bats. Um, and then that happened for like about ten days. He hit like three fifty or something crazy like that. But since then, it's just it ha- he hasn't been able to keep that up. And I don't know what to make of him as a batter anymore because. I, you know, you see these people on, on Twitter and on Facebook who just hate Franco, and then you watch him swing, and it's hard to defend him because he's just he's flailing so so relentlessly. He's chasing everything, and so if he needs that pitch recognition or some you know or some kind of element of that or patience or something that can let him turn his raw talent into actual results. I mean, the patience has actually been sort of there this year. He's got 40 walks to 91 strikeouts going into Monday's game. And his strikeout rates have gone way down this year, which is good to see. But he still has a bad approach, and that leads to a lot of bad outs where he's just grounding out lame or double plays or pop-ups or stuff like that. And you're right. I think Franco – like, I hate the fact that he's become what he's become because there was so much promise there in 2015. And I think you could still have some of that promise, but it's becoming increasingly harder to see that promise the farther you get from 2015. So, or even 14, because 14 was actually when he had the big breakout, I believe. That's so long ago. Uh, 15, it was 15, it was 15. He came up in 14 for a cup of coffee. So, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think they do need to give him one more shot because he's 25 years old and he, like, he's so young. Just, just give him one more shot and see what happens. But otherwise, like, Tommy Joseph, Cameron Rupp, do you think that those guys are not here next year? Yeah, I don't know what the what the value is for Tommy Joseph. Uh, you know, as sad as it is to say, but there's no reason that he should be starting next year certainly, and he can't play any position other than first. So it's not like you keep him as a utility quarter infielder or something like that. He's really stuck at first, and as he doesn't swing the bat like a first baseman does. So I'm not sure what happens to him, but I certainly don't see him as the everyday first baseman. And, um, and I'm not sure what value he has on the bench either beyond that, um, except the occasional pinch hit, which is, you know, it's easy to replace that. Um, Cameron Rupp, he, he might still be here. I could see that, but certainly Alfaro should be, should be catching every day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what Alfaro has done. I mean, he still needs a lot of work defensively, but his bat is – he needs to walk more too. I mean, you know, but whatever. But but the guy can hit hard, and I like that sort of profile because if he can just walk a little bit more, he now becomes a dangerous bat that can be in the middle of a lineup, and getting that out of the catcher position is a big benefit. So I, what I really like about this year, and I, we're going just roundabout with a lot of topics right now just because we're, you know, it's the end of the season and we're just kind of doing this. But what I really liked about this year with Matt Klintak, and we could maybe talk about Klintak now, is they brought up Nick Williams in June, then like a couple weeks, and then Alfaro came up, and then a couple weeks, and then Hoskins came up. 
and then a couple of weeks, and then J.P. Crawford came up. It, it, it's not as if they, at one moment, just brought everybody up. It was really like this nice, graduated, you know, sort of... Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the word, but but everybody kind of came up in in sessions, and it made this team increasingly more exciting as the kind of weeks went on, and it also helped, in my opinion, with these guys kind of got acclimated separately, and they were able to kind of have the full attention of the coaching staff separately instead of having just one September first, you know, rush of like four guys coming up at the same time. And it allowed each one to be brought up when he was ready instead yeah. of just, well, we're desperate. Let's just bring up whoever's there. I don't even care who it is or how ready he is. And there's this constant criticism of the Phillies front office. Uh, people claim that they wait too long to bring their prospects up when really it's just it's not that easy. It's a hard transition to make. And so with these players, they're all still young, young enough that that criticism is already out the window, really. Um, but it shows that they're more interested in making sure that when the players do come up, they can stick. Yeah, I, I thought they really handled it pretty well this year. I know people, if there's any criticism, then I guess you could levy it on waiting longer for Reese Hoskins. But at the same time, Tommy Joseph, I know Tommy Joseph isn't worth a lot, and he doesn't seem to have much of a future in Philadelphia. But it's not a reason to just say you're not playing anymore and the reason Hoskins actually came up was because they had a spot open in the outfield because I think Altair was hurt at the moment or something like that so that actually allowed them to make that move but otherwise I think Clentac's done a really nice job with just understanding when was the appropriate time for these guys you know when guys were sort of in the right place to come up to the majors because Crawford I mean, he found himself in the second half, and he was able to sort of leverage that into a decent showing in Philadelphia where his defense sparkled and his on-base percentage was really good uh, at the end of the year here in Philly. Um, what do you think about Clentac sort of as a, not just bringing up prospects GM, but as a transactional GM as, I mean, I, he didn't really do much. Um, there were a couple deals around the trade deadline, but what do you, how do you like grade what he did over the course of the year? Uh, well, if we give him the full calendar year or or like the yeah. full span from the end of last season through the end of this season, I think he's done pretty well. I think it's a hard B. Um, you, people will point to the Michael Saunders signing and say that, you know, it reveals something about Clentac. They'll point to Clay Buckles and say that Clentac makes bad decisions or whatever. Oh, no. But, th- I mean, they will. It's going to happen, right? Yeah, but no, I yeah. think that. I think that both of those moves, even even though they failed, show that he has a firm understanding of what the team needs at any given time and how to fill those needs without without losing sight of the bigger picture. Yeah, I think the free agent market is so volatile to begin with. You're playing with fire no matter what you're doing, whether it's you're getting a bona fide star and you have to pay him a lot of money and you hope that he gives you that value back in the years that you're giving him or whether it's a flyer who you're just renting because that person's still a roster spot at some, at some point And you have to, you know, give that person time in, you know, as opposed to another guy. So Saunders, I thought was the right play. I mean, we had said it in the off season preview that Saunders was the right bat for the outfield. He just didn't work out. He had a bad year. Nobody wanted him. He did not play well in triple a. I mean, he, he's not, He's not shown himself to be a major league player really anymore, and that's 
sad and surprising, but maybe he comes back in the future and does something for another team. And then Buckholz got hurt. I mean, Buckholz stunk in his first start or two or whatever it was, but he got hurt. You know, he could have come back and, and been superb after his first couple bad starts, but he got hurt. So what are you going to do about that? I think his moves at the trade deadline were surprisingly good in that he got he got rid of everybody. Like, he got rid of Hellickson, and he actually got something back for him. He got rid of Kendrick, who was hurt a lot this year, and got something back for him. He got rid of Nishak, who obviously was easier to get rid of, but he got something back for him. Like, it's... It was a really good trade deadline for him, and I think overall he's at least shown me that the philosophy behind his moves, whether you know whether it's getting the rental guys and then moving them as quick as possible, or getting the guys that he thinks can patch up holes and when they stink, get rid of them, it shows me that he's clearly dedicated to a rebuild that works, and I think it's finally showing fruit. Um and don't do forget, that, yeah. Don't forget one last thing. Don't forget the Juan Nicasio deal either. Yeah, no, why, I mean, come on, <laughs> that was an amazing move. Yeah, you get, it was so savvy. I mean, he picks him up off of waivers, right? It doesn't cost the team anything. He's on the team for about forty-eight hours. I don't remember how long, and then uh, trades him over to the Cardinals for you know a guy. So it's not you know the future of Babe Ruth or anything they traded him for, but it was, a, it was one of their top thirty prospects. You know, yeah. Definitely a serviceable guy. He might see some big league time at some point in his life. And to get that out of, you know, a guy that he just kind of picks up out of thin air is pretty savvy. It's an outstanding move. Um, what do you think of Pete McCannon before I, I want to kind of do Pete McCannon and then we'll do like a we'll, we'll tie a bow on this. But I feel like he is still a mystery to me. Um, what do you think? He's a mystery to me, too, in the sense that I can't always explain the decisions that he makes. Like, there are often times where, and I think this is true for every manager, where a manager will do things and all everyone watching will hate him for it. And But, like, often even when that happens, you know, you leave a pitcher in too long and you could see the reason for it. But with McCannon, I like his demeanor. I think that he has a, like a, you know, he's very centered, which might be nice for young players to be around. But his decisions and his lineups, I can't always make sense of. I, like, I, I remember, I, I seem to remember early in the season, Joely Rodriguez pitching to a lot of right-handed batters. And there's no reason, yeah. there's no reason that ever should have happened. And I'm not saying that Joely Rodriguez would have been an elite reliever if he hadn't, but he should never have been there against anyone other than lefties. Right. Yeah. A couple points. A... You're right totally about bullpen matchups, which early on in the year, like, it's weird because early on in the year, we had no idea what he was doing with the bullpen. And I look back now, and we I, we were railing against what was going on with them, and, and Joaquin Benoit was speaking out. Obviously, I think it seemed more like Joaquin Benoit was sort of angry about being on a crappy team as a veteran and not really getting, you know, the idea of what he was doing. And once Benoit was was traded that was like totally ended we haven't heard anything bad about how Pete McCannon has managed the bullpen this year so I think that was more of a a isolated incident um but you're right in that he's made very suspect moves with lefty righty matchups Freddie Galvis hitting second which I swear to god I hope that's done next year if Freddie Galvis is on this team I do like that once J.P. Crawford came up and really once Reese Hoskins came up, and really once Nick Williams came up, to be honest, he put those guys in a lineup. 
And he didn't care if Tommy Joseph was sitting out four days in a row. That's what happened. He didn't care if Cameron Rupp I, – I, like, look, Rupp still starts a lot, and I don't love that. I mean, Rupp is Rupp. But he gave Jorge Alfaro more time as the year progressed. He gave Andrew Knapp more time when he was playing well. I wish he got gave more Knapp more time at the end of the year, but whatever. I feel like he's done a really nice job of incorporating the young talent while still keeping it relatively sane and, and keeping the veteran players sort of satiated um, and not angry by not being in the lineup enough, right? Yeah, and, and when it comes down to it, with a team in the state that this one is in, that's the most important part of his job is making yeah. sure that all these guys get enough playing time. So I hate that Freddie Galvis bats second. I don't. I would put literally almost anyone else there on this well, roster well, right now. Well, Crawford or even Reese Hoskins should be the number two hitter on this team. Yeah, sure. Um, but to your point, you're right. If if all the young guys are getting playing time, even if it means that some days Crawford has to play out of position or whatever, that's the most important part of McCannon's job right now. So so if he's doing that, he's at least doing something to make up for the fact that, you know, he might not understand platoon matchups yet. Actually, I take it back. Crawford shouldn't be the two-hitter. He's still young, and I understand Pete McCannon's reasoning for having him hit down the order. I think maybe O'Double should be the two-hitter, or Altair, who was the number two-hitter recently, um, would be a much better two-hitter. Anyways... Um, all right. So next year, what do you, well, before we, uh, I was going to do next year, but I don't want to do next year, this year on a scale of like, this totally sucked to this was a great year. Like, where would you put 2017? Obviously it wasn't a great year, but I feel like it was better than meets the eye. Yeah, it was definitely neither of the options you gave me. Um, it, <laughs> The first three quarters of it were just like a slow, agonizing death, right? But the last month, and really how it ends, I think, is more important than how it begins in baseball. I think that's true in a lot of different ways. So um, I don't know. I would give this season probably a C, like exactly a C, right? Uh, at the end, we have seen the things that we've wanted to see all year. And I was thinking earlier today, actually, before the season began, we – ran pieces that were what's the worst that could happen, what's the best that could happen for the Phillies this year. And what's funny is that we've kind of seen a little bit of both. If you, like, other than the the records, right, because um, clearly the record is closer to what's the worst that could happen. But w- the best that could happen is we could see um, some young stars being made, right? And we could see um, the future roster might come into focus a little bit. So we're seeing that. We we felt a lot more of the worst that could happen this season. We spent a lot more time living the reality of that article, but we, we still have, you know, things to look forward to as a result of, I mean, of these young guys. I mean, like just to really quick, we saw Odubel Herrera continue to be a very good offensive player and show that he's part of this team's future as one of the top players in the lineup. We saw that Cesar Hernandez is actually a pretty valuable hitter who's got patience and while he's got a minimized defensive ability it's enough for him to actually maybe be a value to another team we saw Aaron Altair who was hurt most of last year come back and have a very good season and potentially be part of the foundation of this franchise we saw Nick Williams come up and play very well offensively we saw Reese Hoskins come up and play outstandingly offensively and do something that we didn't even think was capable of anybody in this franchise 
we saw Jorge Alfaro come up and actually play like not a chicken like his head cut off, which was great. We saw J.P. Crawford come up and play very well, especially defensively, and give us much more options for the future. We saw Aaron Nola have a very good bounce back season and show that he's part of this rotation for the future. And we saw probably a number of pitchers in the bullpen show that they should be part of this bullpen next year. All things told, it was a pretty decent season, especially in those last two months. Like th- That totally saved everything that we could have imagined for this year. Yeah, all right, so maybe it's a C-plus or a B-minus, whatever. But <laughs> I mean, I think, it's, I think, no, I think, honestly, I'd even call it like a C-minus for this team this year just because the early part of the season was so bad, but they redeemed themselves yeah. enough to be above water going into 2008. I think 2018, I think, I think next year this team could actually challenge for a 500 record and it wouldn't be out of the out of our, you know, like this year we thought 500 could be something sneaky. I feel like next year 500 could actually be, you know, part of the range of what, what they can do. I, yeah, I want to see the pitching that they acquire this yeah. offseason before I agree with that too readily. But I, I think you're right in the sense that you can't, you can't discount the early parts of the season completely because it felt like we were getting our guts ripped out every single night. True. But, Funny enough, though, where the season's ending is on the exact note that I thought it would be ending before it began. So yeah. despite it got so much worse there than I thought it would actually get for a little while, we're ending with exactly what I thought we would be ending with, which is a better sense of the team's needs, a better sense of what these players can do, the hope that, you know, that they can rebound from past uh, struggles that they might have had, you know, whether it's health or whether it's not doing so well in AAA or whatever we're still ending where I thought they would. So, so it doesn't feel like the season is a step backwards too much. Um, if anything, I'm just really excited to see what winter brings. The 2017 Phillies. It doesn't matter how you get there. Somehow you get there. Uh, that was kind of funny, I guess. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that'll fit on a, <laughs> on a, on a magazine cover or anything. Yeah. Um, there were funnier ones on Twitter, I'm sure. All right, Dan. Dan Walsh, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk about the year, and maybe we'll have you on. By the way, yeah, listen to Playing the Rube every other week. Uh, he's definitely on that, but maybe we'll have you on this podcast in the future. Yeah, speaking of what's the worst that can happen, go listen to Playing the Rube. <laughs> you won't believe your ears, uh, and it's not a bad podcast. We're just bad at the games, that's all. Uh, Dan, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, Tim. All right, let's talk about the 2017 Phillies with someone who followed them all year uh, all year long. Matt Breen, a beat writer for the Phillies for Philly.com, Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Philadelphia Daily News. Matt, welcome back to the Philly Nation Podcast. Hey, thanks, Tim. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks. Uh, how are you doing? That's, I think my first question is, you know, the season just ended. Uh, it's Monday morning, so it just ended yesterday. You followed the team through an entire year. Uh, how's your mindset? Uh, are you happy or sad that the season's over? Where, 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 are you, where are you at right now? I'm good. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was um, it was kind of crazy yesterday when it was ending, thinking, you know, at times the season felt long, but as a package, it didn't. this season didn't feel, you know, super long. It wasn't like you were looking forward to that last day for, you know, the final two months or whatever. It, it kind of snuck up on it, and next thing you know, you're handing your parking pass yesterday. It says game 81, and that was it. And um, it was it was a fun year. I, it was my third year covering it. I think each year has gotten better. Um, this year, you know, you really can start to see the future of the team. And 
I'm excited to get down there for spring training because I think next year is when this is all going to really start to turn and, and games are going to begin to matter a little bit more where, you know, you can, you can pick apart what's going, what, the, the, you know, what resulted in that win or loss because it actually, you know, the end result of a game matters where the last few years you were really looking at the, the development of guys and, and how these young players were coming apart more than, you know, necessarily if the Phillies won or lost that night. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody following the team is excited just to get going with 2018, which is something that we haven't felt in quite a while, I think. Um, but, you know, I, I, I said this earlier that I think this, this past year felt like a, like a couple of different seasons, like mini seasons, where you had this like first group that wasn't very good. And you've had this sort of transition with Nick Williams starting, you know, and then other players coming up at that point. And then you finally had in the last month or so this, you know, new group that has really taken over. And it's it's funny, the last game on Sunday even felt sort of like that team, it was their team, you know, that that was doing all the damage. And you had some other guys participating, but it felt like a real, like, you know, not just a changing of the guard, but this is how we're going to go ahead. So it's really interesting to see that sort of evolve over the year. I, I, I want to, like, just talk about the first team, that, that first, you know, half of the year, which – uh, it was pretty terrible. But, you know, looking back at how the team fared early then, you know, now with sort of, you know, better vision uh, in, in retrospect, what really went wrong with that team in the first half? You know, what, what were the, like, the key things that just made that team as bad as it was? Uh, the bullpen, was, you know, as good as it was at the end of the season, was terrible for the first, you know, month or so. You know, it's hard to remember that Gene Mark Gomez was the closer on opening day. Yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Saunders, it feels like he wasn't on the team this year. Michael Saunders yeah. was, you know, a guy, you know, on that first first Phillies team of this year, and and he he totally flamed out. That that signing didn't work at all. Um, just and you, you, all these young guys for the most part weren't here yet. Besides, you know, you had Aaron Altair, and that's really about it. But you're still waiting for Hoskins and Nick Williams and J.P. Crawford. We're all, you know, in the summer, so. The beginning, the first few months of the Philly season, if there was any part that was a drag, it was that. And yeah, I think and that's why that's what made this final month, final two months, really, you know, so exciting because how bad that first month was. And you know, now that when you look back all the way to April, it's hard to remember that that was the same season. It's strange because I haven't really thought of that until now. But if yeah. that was the same season as what we just ended yesterday. It, it feels like Michael Saunders was on this team with Grady Sizemore or something. Like this, you know, yeah. it was that long ago. Um, and, and you'd mentioned, I mean, Odubel had a really tough start to the year, and, and that really, I think, we were all expecting Odubel to continue playing as strong as he, you know, had been playing. And it didn't happen early on. I mean, obviously, he picked it up at the end, and he had a good season. But, you know, the first half was tough for him. But on Aaron Altair, because you mentioned him, and his hot start was kind of the one thing, I think, offensively that we were all kind of excited about in the beginning. Going into the year, did you get an impression from anybody in the front office or the coaching staff on what their expectations for Altair were? Did you think that anybody was thinking that he could become sort of an everyday outfielder into the future, or were they thinking more fourth outfielder, or were they more thinking just stay healthy? Like, what was what was the expectation for him? Yeah, he, he was the fourth outfielder, and it was a big thing was to stay healthy. And also, he was coming back from a really, you know, severe injury from the year before. So, yeah. if he could be the fourth outfielder, they signed Michael Saunders. It, it kind of would give, you would think, Altair a benefit to not have to play every day, 
and really make sure his wrist is healed going forward. And really, he didn't he didn't need that time is what he proved over the you know the first two months. He forced Michael Saunders to the bench, and then eventually forced Michael Saunders to be designated for assignment. And I think that was a surprise. People knew obviously that Altair had a talent, but I don't think they knew that his wrist was fully healed that that quickly. And for yeah. him, he could have opened the season and in, in the starting lineup, but they, you can't fault them. They, you know, the Phillies, they, they try to spend some money. You know, Michael Saunders wasn't the best signing. It's not the greatest signing in Phillies history, but I don't think it was like, um, you know, it didn't uh, really, it wasn't that bad in the grand scheme of things that it blocked somebody from, from playing or anything because eventually Altair did, you know, force his way in there. And, you know, they decided to let go of Saunders when they felt like they should let go of Saunders. It wasn't like they kept him around and made it exactly. a really tough situation for him or everybody else. And I guess, you know, question on Matt Klintak and how he sort of, you know, uh, sort of managed this team early on in the year uh, with the Saunders release with, or I guess they DFA'd him or whatever, and then he cleared through and they released him. Um, but then with the trades, you know, that I thought the trade deadline was much better than expected because I didn't think they were going to get anything for guys like Jeremy Hellickson who had a, kind of a tough year in and out. Um, how do you think Klentak did, uh, you know, through those first few months of the season? Do you think he was able to get what he wanted to get out of, you know, whatever performances he was getting out of that team? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. They they were able to, like, you know, DFA Saunders, they got rid of Gomez, they weren't, they weren't tied to these guys that, that, you know, they had, even though they were on somewhat decent contracts that they had to stay on the team all year. So they were able to shed that. And then the trades, like you said, um, Pat Nishak had a solid, it looks like it might be a solid return. Um, who was the trade with the Nationals? It, it's like these things are so uh, Kendrick, long ago. Ken, yeah, Kendrick, they uh, yeah, got. Kendrick trade. Was it McWilliams, yeah, I think, he, or something like that? Yeah, some, some prospect. Yeah, they got a nice pitcher for that. And that trade, um, I and thought the Jeremy uh, the... Hellickson trade and, and all three you were able to make three moves and get and get rid of guys that had to had to go so you could get more young guys than majors and more so the final two months could could be the final two months that we we ended up seeing and I think that was the most important thing any type of return is a bonus and and we'll find out you know probably more next season about what they actually got yeah and and then by the way the Juan Nicasio like just maneuvering. One of the yeah, coolest yeah, things that happened definitely. this year, right? That doesn't happen, I think, in 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 the past. Like Ruben Amaro, I don't think he would ever have made a move like that, where he picks up somebody and then a week later decides to, you know, trade him to for a prospect, you know, because the Cardinal team yeah. really fits. It was just brilliant. Um, that was pretty smart. Yeah. I, so all right. So going into the you know as the season went on, Nick Williams comes up, and I felt at least when Williams came up that there was just this sudden change in, like, suddenly I was watching the team now for, you know, ooh, how is he going to do? And there was more of an excitement, I guess, around the middle of the order that I hadn't felt in a while. Um, I, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but did you, when Williams came up, was there any sort of noticeable change in the clubhouse? Or, you know, was anybody talking about that kind of thing? Or was it just kind of business as usual down there? Because it felt like at that moment that Williams sort of changed things. Yeah, I think that was, you know, if, if Reese Hoskins is like the ultimate, you know, moment where this whole thing changed when he came up, you, you do have to go back a little bit, a couple of weeks earlier where Williams came up. And uh, that, that I guess, is where this whole thing will start to turn. Is You finally got to see 
one of these prospects reached the major that we had been, you know, talking about for what feels like ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, when is Nick Williams going to come up? When is J.P. Crawford? When is Reese Hoskinson? And there was Williams. And I think, yeah, in the clubhouse you could start to feel a little bit of a, a buzz. You know, a young guy was finally here, and not, not was he just here. He, he got off to a pretty hot start. So I think the real shift in the clubhouse started when Reese Hoskins came up. You could see a noticeable difference. He, he's more of a leader than um, Nick Williams. Is not the slight Nick Williams, but you know Hoskins just seems like a you know a big time guy that could be a leader going forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but their energy level, sure, Nick Williams definitely brought that. Yeah, I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, uh, another another part of the podcast, but um, I, I felt like. Just going back and looking at the Williams promotion and then the Alfaro promotion and the Hopkins promotion and then Crawford, I thought it was kind of smart that they were able to bring these guys up one by one. I mean, they obviously did that partly because they weren't ready until they were ready and they thought they were ready. Um, But also, I think it kind of helped with sort of them getting their feet wet in the majors and having sort of the full coaching staff available to them and kind of, you know, not having their other, you know, peers around them sort of developing at the same time. Did you – how was the clubhouse during that whole period as, you know, every couple of weeks someone new came in? You know, did it feel like the clubhouse was just sort of naturally sort of, you know, gelling with each guy as they were coming in? Did it feel like normal or, or was it or was it odd? You know, when, when Jorge Alfaro comes up, was it was Cameron Rupp having, you know, like – Oh, what's this? You know, was it going to have that, or was it more just kind of normal fluid stuff? No, and a lot of these guys play together. You know, if you look at this roster, they're all pretty young, and most of them have came up through the system. A lot of them were even in AAA, you know, back and forth this year, at least going back to last year. You know, almost the entire roster has played together. And then Cameron Rupp is, you know, a great guy, so he's not looking over his shoulder when Jorge Alfaro comes up. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really positive clubhouse. A lot of young guys that are you know more so happy to be there. And, and I don't think anybody was out to get anybody. Look at the way Tommy Joseph treated Reese Hoskins. You know, it's yeah. just I, I can't say enough of how good this clubhouse was this year. And a lot of these guys are friends. They're all young. Um, they played together in the minor league. So when they got up here, it's not there was no nothing needed to gel. They they had gelled you know in Triple A and Double A when they were you know, winning winning down there. Um, you, so you mentioned the clubhouse was great. And, <clears throat> yeah, I think, that, you know, even from the outside, I could see that the clubhouse, you know, there were no problems reported. It looked like everybody was getting along great. And I think that a lot of that's a testament to Pete McCannon. And, obviously, the news came out over the past couple of days that he's not going back to 2018 as manager and instead taking on a more front office role. Um, first off, were you surprised? Because I was shocked when they when they announced that on Friday. Were you surprised that that happened? Yeah, I was surprised by the timing of it. I, I I didn't expect Pete to be back post-2018, but I wasn't – the way that he – when he said earlier last week that he wasn't sure if he was coming back in 2018 yet, that kind of opened the door that, that maybe he's not – you know, maybe something is up here. But I didn't expect it to happen on Friday afternoon, you know, before the last series of the, of the uh, season. So – I was shocked by the timing of it, but I thought maybe, you know, we would hear something within this month that that he wasn't coming back in 2018. And it's always funny when, you know, they announce something like that and then he still has three games left as manager. It just seems weird that, oh, they're going to have him put on the outfit and do it. 
But, you know, I think part of it is he's going to still be in the organization next year, I guess barring if he gets some sort of amazing offer from another team or something. But it sounds like, you know, he's got – he's in good – him and the Phillies are, you know, really working well together. There's no ill will there. Um, but also, I mean, the guys played so well for him over the weekend. And that Sunday, obviously, with the standing ovation and, you know, McCann got a little, you know, a little choked up or something there during the ovation – it, it it feels as if this clubhouse does really care a lot about Pete, and and it, he really did get on the good graces of a lot of guys here. Just give me like a bow on on McCann's tenure as manager. Did you know his strengths? You know, and what was most important for him? Um, uh, most important about him as, as the skipper of the team? Um, he's a really great guy. He's easy to like. Um, I think, like you said, he he really he was able to connect with these young guys. And the big thing is that if this team ever contends, you know, when when they do and Matt Klintak says he wants, you know, Pete to be there when they're pouring champagne on each other's heads, you have to remember that, that Pete's the guy that, that guided these guys, a lot of them, to, through the majors for the first time, welcomed them to the big leagues, and, and really, you know, set this set the ground floor for, for this rebuild. And, and whatever happens in the next few years, just, you know, this year, this final two months will always be remembered as like, you know, the pivotal start. And, and I think you can't forget what Pete McCannon did in in those two months and the way that he was able to like what you were talking about earlier with the clubhouse and you know to to blend the the new Phillies and the old Phillies together and to not have any problems, no conflicts. I think that was his his biggest trait. He's just a, he's a people person. Um, you know, really, just a, I can't say enough about how good of a, a guy Pete McCann is, and how how just a nice and welcoming guy he was to me, and you know, and of course you know, the other media members, and especially the players. I'm sure he, you know he's a popular guy in that clubhouse. Walk through it after every game, which you didn't see in the older regime, and seemed to really have a rapport with you know every single guy in there. Yeah, um, so let's transition then <clears throat> from sort of this past year to, you know, the future here. And with McCann, we'll start there, the manager role. Um, there have been names already rumored, and we're already, you know, putting our list together <laughs> as to who could be the new manager. I know you probably don't have any thoughts on it one way or the other. You're just going to report what happens. But do you get a sense, because my, like, sort of my, I guess, my reaction when McCann, uh, the announcement of McCann's reassignment, it was like, ooh, Maybe they've already thought about somebody, and they have someone in mind, and that person is available, and they want to go through the process, but maybe they do have a name that they're thinking of. Do you get a sense that Clentac and McPhail already have sort of an idea of where they want to go here, or do you think this will be a long, drawn-out process? Like, what, what do you think might happen in this situation? I think they have an idea, not necessarily like the guy, but I think they have, they have a, a list of guys, or they at least have an a idea of a candidate that they want. Mm-hmm. And you know, this Matt Klintak was hired as a GM in, at the end of uh, 2015. So he he inherited Pete McCannon, and now I think he really just he wants to put his stamp on this. He wants to get his manager in place. The GM's time is limited, just like a manager's time is limited. So you know he's got to put his full hands on this, get his own manager in place, and I think that's what really triggered you know him to to move Pete McCannon out of that role. And now they're, I, I would expect them to move quickly. Um, you know, I was just looking at the last time the Phillies hired a, a manager in the offseason was Charlie Manuel, and it happened uh, like November 3rd or November 4th of 2004. Yeah. So 
could that that be the similar timing? Probably. You know, I would expect it to be sometime between now and, and right after the World Series. So, you know, this month is going to be filled with interviews. They they could definitely hire somebody before the World Series, but at the very latest, it'll be, you know, that first week in November. So it's not not a too long of a search. It should be pretty quick. I'm sure they know that the six guys they want to interview. Um, the, the Dusty Watson is definitely going to get a chance to be in there. He managed, you know, pretty much this entire team at Triple A AA or Double A over the last few years. Um, a lot of uh, young guys like Brad Allsmith and Detroit could be could be a guy. Buck Showalter, if he becomes available, is definitely a guy. Um, there's there's going to be you know a lot of names floating around this month, and I think you know Matt Klintek is going to get in the, you know his guy, and this is his it's his team now, and and I think he he has all the right to really you know get his guy in place too. Yeah, and you know I think yeah they'll they'll bring in somebody right before the offseason really starts kicking into gear so that they can be set up and, you know, have the people necessary to move forward and make their decisions personnel-wise. And I guess, you know, moving on with contact here, so as you said, this is his chance to, you know, put a stamp on the franchise. It's also his first, you know, I mean, last, last offseason, sure, he, you know, he had his offseason, he was GM, but I feel like this offseason with the new manager coming in, with this new blood now in place, now it's really his chance to put a stamp on what the Phillies are going to look like in the future. And, okay, so pitching. I guess that's the big thing. Is that going to be the big answer or the question to answer here in the offseason? Are they going to go out and try to get a free agent and maybe even make a trade or something like that? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, some type of acquisition that gets a big-time starting pitcher, you know, a bona fide starter, what Pete McCann and the word he used. Uh, last week, and, and I think that's the right word to use because it's not going to be a Jeremy Hellickson or, a, um, you know, any of these other one-year rentals they had the last few mm. years. It's going to be, you know, a legitimate starter, and I, I think a trade might be the best way to do it because if you look at the starting pitching market uh, this winter, it's not that great, and you could get creative, and Matt Klintek showed that ability the last two years to be able to get creative, make a trade, flip somebody, you know, the kind of way he did Ken Giles and, you know, that, that can maybe be the best way to get a pitcher. Cause a lot of, you know, a lot of teams don't let their young starters even get the free agency. You lock them up beforehand. And I think that would be the best way just to, you know, look at your surplus of outfielders throughout the system and could you package them together to get a starter? That, that would be, you know, what I would try to do this winter. Okay. So that's what I was thinking because. I, then the last couple of years, really, the, you know, the off season, especially the winter meetings, you know, it's not been so much about free agent signings and blockbuster, you know, ten-year deals. It's more been about a team trading a bunch of prospects for, you know, one proven young player. And the, you know, the the White Sox trading, you know, Adam Eaton to the Nationals last off season was kind of part of that. Lucas Giolito going over. So, do the Phillies? Okay, outfielders. Are you talking like Dylan Cousins, Roman Quinn? Are you talking like one of the guys currently on the team, like Aaron Altair? Or are you talking more like a Mickey Moniac? Like, where where could they go? I mean, I'm sure they can go anywhere, but is there, like, a certain kind of player that you think might actually go more than others? Well, I think it's it's anybody. Because right now you have three uh, legitimate starters in the outfield and the managers, and then you step down to Dylan Cousins, AAA, and Roman Quinn, the guys you mentioned. And Mickey Mooniak and Adam Hazley, and that's a surplus. You have a lot of outfielders, a lot of ability to trade, and and when you, when you build that up, that's that's where you you know you can give up what you have extra, just like the extra middle uh, middle infielders right now. 
it could be it could be one of those guys that could turn out to be yeah. you know get you a decent starter. But I think the talent surplus is in in the outfield, and that's where you're going to take away from. Is it Nick Williams? Do you flip Nick Williams now and, and maybe get ahead of it? And you know that could be the way to get creative and trade him for a starter. You're going to have to give up something. So it's going to be. It's not like you're going to give up your your spare parts to get a, a bona fide starter. I think you're going to have to give up something that that you like, but to get something that you 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 really need, and that's a that's a legitimate top of the rotation arm. Um, top of the rotation arm. So the the big free agent name is you Darvish, obviously. Um, you know, just use him as a measuring stick. Are the Phillies going to look for a you Darvish type, or are we talking a step down, more like? Um, more like an Alex Cobb type, somewhere around there. I mean, you know, sort of in the Nola neighborhood, maybe even a little bit under Nola. Is that more likely? Yeah, probably not a superstar pitcher. Okay. Um, not a guy that's going to, you know, cost a ton of money. But and and like this outfield surplus isn't probably isn't going to get you a superstar anyway. It's not yeah. that good. But I think they can they can get creative and they can make a, a trade this winter that gets them a decent. Uh, you know, a more a better than decent arm, you know, an Aaron Nola type arm. And if not, then they have all the money in the world to spend. So, you know, maybe they're in the mix for, I don't think they're in the mix for Darvish, but, you know, maybe right below that, somebody, you know, on a three-year contract that, you know, is going to pay you, you know, half of the money that Darvish is going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, between... Between Cesar Hernandez, Michael Franco, and Freddie Galvis, who is most likely to not be on the roster next year and, and be gone via trade? I would say Cesar Hernandez just because if you're going to trade somebody and, you know, you're going to get the best return out of a guy that's under team control and that's Cesar Hernandez, I don't I don't see that Freddie Galvis could really fetch you a big return on the market. You know, mm-hmm. so I think you, you, you trade the guy that's going to get you the best return. And neither of these guys are in – uh, Galvis and Hernandez are in really the long-term plans because, you know, you can see who's coming behind them to play those positions. So I would trade Hernandez. Um, you could move Galvis to second base for the first six weeks of the season, call up Scott Kingery in May, and then Galvis spends the rest of the next year going into being a free agent as a utility player. And if so, you could trade him in July um, before the trade deadline. And I think Franco... Uh, that, you know, if if you can get a return on Franco this winter, I, I wouldn't um, be totally against moving him. But I wouldn't also wouldn't be totally against just keeping him at third base next year. You're gonna have a pretty solid lineup. Where who would have thought you could actually kind of hide Franco in the bottom of the order? You know, yeah, I know he was projected to be a middle of the lineup guy, but your, your team looks like it's going to be good enough to hide him and give him one more year to you know, see what he has. Yeah, and maybe you build up that value. Maybe maybe does you know find himself there in the first part of the year and get some value, and maybe the Phillies can figure out what to do with that. Um, and we had mentioned last last time you were on the phone, uh, way back before the season began, we said something offline about how we would talk about how Cesar Hernandez would have you know a good year, and that would be you know, the year of Cesar. But he actually had a good year. I mean, played quite well on base wise, um, and nobody seems to talk about him as much as far as like his development, but. He has to be one of the more uh, good stories about the Phillies over the past many years that he's been able to become sort of a major league player who can play every day. Do you think he's sort of become that? I mean, that 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 any team in baseball would like to have him, you know, in their order, even at the top of the order. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I think he's he proved this year that, you know, like you said, you know, on base percentage was a little bit higher. Um, hit for the same exact batting average, actually. I'm looking at it now. And, um, but I think somebody would definitely want him at second base. He plays a really good defense. Um, base running obviously needs to get better, but he has the speed to, you would think, to make that better. And I just think, you know, he doesn't fit the Phillies' plans. Scott Kingery, I think, is going to be, you know, a superstar at this level. So, mm-hmm. you know, you owe it to yourself to get him up here next season, whenever that is. But if you were a contending team and you needed a second baseman who can bat either, you know, second or eighth, then, yeah, I, I would definitely, you know, somebody will take a chance on Cedar Hernandez, especially, like I said earlier, he's under control still for a few more seasons. Do they make any sort of crazy deal this offseason where, you know, we heard a lot of stuff about Yelich and Stanton and all that stuff. I don't think that's going to happen, but do you think that, like, they could uh, potentially bring in, you know, a big bat like that, or do you think it's more pitching this season? I think it's more pitching. And the, it seems like, you know, like, you know, the lineup the last two months is, is pretty solid going into 2018, and I think you owe it to yourself to get a look at that lineup for a full season or a full half of the season, whatever that's going to be. But you really you need pitching. There's one guy right now on the on the Phillies that you can count on for the starting rotation next year, and that's obviously Aaron Nola. So you could use some bullpen help, um, some extra arms there. You're gonna have to the payroll is gonna have to rise somewhere. So you spend it on the bullpen could do that, and then I think you need to definitely add one or two starters, and one of them would have to be like you know use a bona fide term, and I think one of them has to be that. Um, but your best guess as to who like the other two starters would be. I mean, obviously Velasquez, Pavetta, Ikov, Eflin is still out there, lively. I mean, do Thompson? Do you have an idea of who the team might be thinking is, you know, the the kind of the front runners early on to get you know those final couple spots to try out in 2018? I think Ikov definitely is is the leader of that pack just because. You know, he had a poor season this year, but how um, good of a year last year was. And, and maybe, you know, get him healthy and then get him back to what he was in 2016 more than 2017. And Vince Velasquez is a guy that has the most talent, I think, of this whole bunch. So you owe, you know, to yourself to see, can is he healthy, you know, with this numbness in his finger and, and whatever was causing that? And can he, you know, really put together what what he's done in flashes in the last two years. So I I would like Nola, Eikhoff, and Velasquez to be my three guys, and then, you know, you can figure it out. Maybe Nick Pavetta is in there somewhere, or he's at AAA, or it's it's a good problem to have, especially if you can get, if you can get two starters from the outside, then you, you know, you can narrow yourself down. You know, you just need to fill in two, two gaps in the rotation instead of four. So you'd be able to actually, you know, make some choices. Uh, so finally, so 2007 over, but of all the things that happened this year, sort of what was your favorite story, you know, that kind of emerged in 2017? And, you know, if you can, non-Hoskins division, or if it is Hoskins, you can talk about that too. But what, But of all the things that happened this year, maybe it's something small, what was your favorite story of the year? Um, I mean, it is. It's it's got to be Reese Hoskins. When when you look back, I know it's not what you wanted, but when you look back at 2017, that's what you know you're always going to remember. Yeah. And it was neat to. I remember being in Reading last year, 
or actually, so last year, at the beginning of last year, we needed to, um, you know, write a minor league story to kind of start the minor league coverage. So in spring training, I, I said to Mac Elvis, I said, I'm going to go write about Reese Hoskins. He played in Australia this winter. And um, I just think that would be interesting to talk about playing in Australia. I really, I didn't have any, it wasn't <laughs> like I got to write about this Reese Hoskins because he's going to be the next big thing. I was like, you know, we got to write something. He had a decent year last year in Clearwater. So there we go. And went back, met him, first time talking to him talking about Australia and then, you know, some a little bit about how he could possibly be the next first baseman in the Phillies. But, you know, I didn't – I wasn't like, you know, he's definitely going to be – this guy's a superstar. It was, you know, maybe. You know, he was just – all he was at Clearwater. And then to see how he attacked in Reading, but then was the Reading power numbers legit? You weren't really sure. And then when he came comes to AAA and he just, you know, totally tore up AAA, which I, I expected him to just – hit a little bit of a slump at AAA, maybe, you know, take some time. But, you know, he had just dominated AAA, and then he gets to the majors, and he dominates there. And it was it was neat to see that, you know, to be a year ago talking to this guy in minor league spring training at, like, 6 in the morning. You know, now he's, like, the biggest name in baseball. And I was like, wow, that was neat, you know, to see him kind of blossom in the majors and, you know, be able to see that. And, and it's just, again, like, the clubhouse is full of good guys, and, and Reese Hoskins is a great guy. So that makes it even better when, you know, a guy's a, a good – you know he's a good person and good things are happening to him. But So you, you buried the lead a little bit. And so so what happened with Australia? Did, did you find out anything interesting about Australia and playing baseball there? <laughs> he spent like, I don't know, six weeks playing in Australia. And he was like, what – I guess he was 22 at the time. He's like 22, traveling the world, and, you know, it was a great time. It was just – it wasn't anything crazy, but it was – I guess it, it got me through a day. I guess it, you know it was a story, and I remember the the headline was, "Is Reese Hoskins the next Phillies? Is Phillies farmhand Hoskins the next first baseman?" I was like mad that they made that the headline because I was like I didn't write that he's going to be the next first baseman, <laughs> but now looking back, I'm like, hey everybody, you know I called this. I was right. <laughs> it's but, funny. Not to drag out the story thing, but did you play Nike Spoonie with him? What's that? Did you play Nicey Spoonie with him? Do you get that reference at all? No. no. <laughs> oh, ask Gelb about it, I guess. I think he might know. <laughs> it's a Simpsons reference, that's all. Oh, uh, okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. No big deal. Um, it should have been a wrestling reference, and it just wasn't. Sorry. I would have got but, that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, I appreciate uh, you talking uh, with us about 2017, 2018. Obviously, it's going to be really exciting. Uh, we'll hope to have you on at some point uh, in the future to talk more about what maybe what they did in the off season. We can kind of you know go from there. But Matt, enjoy your off season. I know you have a big one coming up, and I'll just say you know enjoy it, have a good time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, Tim. Anytime. All right, so now it's time to put some player grades on the 2017 Phillies. I asked each of the writers of Phillies Nation to come up with grades for certain Phillies from 2017. I, I think I said 2007 a moment ago. Why that's on my brain, I don't know why. But 2017, I should say. And it would have been each, a lot more fun if it was. What's that? It would have been a lot more fun if it was 2007. It would be a lot more fun, that's true. Um, that's Mike Sadowski here. So he's going to join me to talk about the infielders of the Phillies for 2017. 
and give grades to each one. So let's start with the catchers. Uh, first, Cameron Ropp, uh, what's your grade? Uh, D, because of his bad March when most scouts are watching him, and bad April and May and when even more scouts are watching him, and he didn't turn himself into a trade bait. Yeah, and we're recording this on Tuesday uh, evening, so the stats were through Monday. We're up 218, 299, 419 on the year, and that probably won't change too much before the end of the year. Uh, not a very good season. I'd agree with you. D's probably good, um, and his defense was never that good this year. It seems as if his, his – I no. mean, the pitching wasn't good either, but, you know. Yeah, when your bench coach throws you under the bus in the middle of May and calls out your play calling, um, your pitch calling – uh, maybe I should switch it to a D minus instead of a D. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't object to that. Andrew Knapp, his uh, backup for most of the year. What do you think about him? Um, C, C minus. The, they did what he was expected. I think uh, two years ago we would have hoped for a little more, but I think this is what he is. He's a backup catcher, and uh, that's what he did this year. He backup caught, and he did it adequately. C. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, the on-base percentage is very good, 364. Uh, I would say a C, even a C-plus potentially, a young guy, 25, and he isn't known to be a great defensive catcher, so he kind of played admirably there. Jorge Alfaro, the guy who came in at the end of the year to uh, take over a catcher a lot of times. I'd say for the entire year, it's probably a, probably a solid B. Um, it, it, he's, he's looked pretty good when he's come up. Uh, he had a, and he, he looked at in April, he had a stretch in May in the beginning of June where he looked like he was pretty much lost at the plate down in Allentown. Uh, but I think I, I, I don't, I don't mind giving him a B cause he's looked pretty good when he's come up. Yeah. I think a B, B minus maybe, um, the defense obviously needs a lot of work and the discipline numbers are not great. He's walked twice, I believe to 32 strikeouts going into Tuesday. So yikes. Um, first base, uh, and we're going to start with, we're going to go through some of the more, um, um, traditional players before we get to the young guys. Tommy Joseph. Uh, I'd probably go C minus D plus. Um, th- that April was, April was F minus. Um, <laughs> after that, I mean, he's picked it up a little and he's probably, he's, he's going to be, his slugging might come close to leading the team for qualified at bats, but I mean, I, there's nothing special here. Phillies know what they got, and they're going to have to figure out what to do with them. Yeah, I think a, a C minus D plus. A D plus is probably more for me. Um, you know, maybe there's room for him to grow, but it won't be with the Phillies, certainly. And he looks more very one-dimensional than most guys who were supposed to be starters at his position. And we'll get to the other guy in a second. First, though, Freddie Galvis. Um, this is really hard. Um C plus may B minus B minus probably because of his defense and his leadership and all these things that we keep hearing about, but man, he just has the worst at bats on the team. There's, there's no one on the team. Maybe some guy we're going to talk about in a minute here that has worse at bats on this team than Galvis. Um, And for every, for the second, for those couple of seconds where you think maybe you can keep him on a, on a winning team. Then he goes and has a three-pitch strikeout and looks just awful doing it. Yeah, I've said numerous times that Galvis is probably on a really good team when he's surrounded by seven guys who can hit a ton. He's not a good hitter. He never was. His defense is spectacular. 
Um, it's hard to measure defense, but it's very, very good, obviously. And his leadership qualities are definitely necessary on this team, which I talked with Dan about earlier. Um, I'd say Freddie kind of, yeah, I think a B- minus is okay. C-plus is fine, too. I think somewhere in that range is, is totally appropriate for him. B-minus, I would say. Andres Blanco. Yeah, I have no Oh, good. Uh, I was just... I have no problem with that, but Andres Blanco yeah. F. Let's just move on. <laughs> he's a nice guy, though, and he's like the the clubhouse prankster. <laughs> I thought I said, I thought I said, Tim, I thought, Tim, I thought I said, let's move on. <laughs> um, yeah, one ninety two to fifty seven, two ninety two, D minus for Blanco. I'll be a little nicer. Um, Cesar Hernandez. No. Uh, Cesar, I'd say B, maybe B minus, just because he can't. He's just refused to steal bases since like April, since he went on the disabled list the first time. I don't know why he's not stealing. I just, I'm getting the feeling right now that he he can't be a leadoff man if he's not going to use his speed. Um, so I'd probably rather if he can fit in, if they can fit him in somehow as the number eight hitter, then I think that's different. Um, maybe he can be the eight hitter on a good team, but I don't think he's the the leadoff hitter that we want to see. I'd actually give him a B plus. I think the speed, the, well, the speed, the stolen bases problem is a problem, but I don't think it's. I like. I think what you're saying about him hitting lower in the order. I think it's more. I don't think it's his fault, especially that he's supposed to be a leadoff hitter who's supposed to steal bases. He's got good on base skills and he can hit the ball through the infield, which is great. Um, and I think he's probably more inclined, as you said, to be a seven or eight hitter in a lineup, and the speed won't be such of an issue there. So I'd actually say he played above anybody's expectations this year, and his defense was not a problem. In fact, it was probably above average. So um, that's true. I'd buy that. Yeah, I, it's, I, I don't. Yeah, I have no problem with that grade either. Okay. Um, then moving on. Well, I'm sure this is the guy you're talking about with the bad approach, Michael Franco. Yeah. Uh, D minus approaching F. Um, I'd say D minus because he was he, for all his troubles at the plate, he never really gave up on his defense. And you can, from what I understand, he was working on it a lot. Um, so for he could have just he could have really just thrown in this whole season um, because he was clueless at the plate for most of it. Um, but he never did, and he never let he never let that bring his whole game down. So for that, I'll give him a D minus instead of an F. But otherwise, like at the at the play, he's just, he's he's just been completely clueless, and it it could be time to move on. And unless they want to keep him on as like a, a bench player who can play third and first. Yeah, I've expressed my Franco opinions earlier, and I think he's probably should be kept because we haven't seen value yet and maybe we can get some value back next year but I think D minus is very fair I might go to D just because the defense has been I think more surprising than you know expected and his approach at the plate while terrible his swings terrible I should say his approach isn't the worst he struck out much fewer than he has in the past this year. Um, so it looks like he's like trying to do better, but his swing is just broken. It looks like, so I, uh, you know, if that can be fixed, we're still looking at a potentially average player again, if not better, but for now, yeah, still quite bad. And I think a D is my grade, but I think a D minus is fine. Yeah. And I, I think you're, you're right with his swing. It's just completely, it looks like an unfolded lawn chair in the words of tin cup. Um, but it, it, it I think there's I think there's too many cooks in the kitchen right now. Yeah. And I think 
he's got to find someone he can trust to just be like a swing doctor or something. Otherwise, I don't I don't know if it's going to work for maybe him. Could, maybe you could see a shaman in the offseason, do a little Pedro Serrano yeah. work or something. Um, <laughs> all right, Reese Hoskins. This is Here we go. Here are the names. Reese Hoskins. A plus. Uh, there's no other way to do it. Um, hey, everything he's done of him, he's he everything that's everything that's been asked of him at the beginning of the year, he's done and then some. When you do extra credit, when you get in, when you're in school and you do extra credit, you go above and beyond. You get an A plus. He gets an A plus. Yeah, it's funny because right now he's going through the biggest slump maybe of the season he's had uh, in the major leagues, where he's just not really seeing the ball well and guys are pitching, you know blowing away to him and he's kind of going at it but yeah I a plus is totally it I mean he's as you said he's done anything everything asked of him um he wasn't expected to be a guy that I think we were like excited to see this year we thought maybe him coming up would be like okay we'll see what he can do but he not only dominated the international league and was the best player in that league and carried the iron pigs for a long time this year but he then came to the major leagues and absolutely astonished everybody and became a can't-miss sort of player, which is hard to do in the major leagues. So, yeah, A-plus, yeah. without a doubt, yeah. And and he played a position right. in the – and he played left field, a position that he, you know, wasn't supposed to ever play, and he did that admirably. Yeah, and you're talking about the fact that he's slumping a little bit now. Even if he goes O for the rest of the season – it's still a plus because his numbers are his numbers were so ridiculous yeah. for those first six weeks that he can take the next week off and go over twenty five and still have amazing numbers. Yeah, and you know maybe it's just the end of the season and, and he's getting a little tired because he's never played a full season like this before. So just things to remember. Yeah. Um, Scott Kingery, we're going in the minor leagues here, but obviously Kingery, um, you know, is someone that we've been watching all year. What's your grade? Uh, I, I, I'd almost go a plus, but a, um, because he's, again, he's someone who's done everything that's been asked of him. Um, and I think that the fact that he did more isn't as much the fact that he did more with effort. I think he did more just because he had that ability and no one really projected it because he looks like he's about five feet tall. Um, when he was standing next to Eshelman two weeks ago, I mean, he looked like, <laughs> he, he looked like, he looked like me standing next to my daughter. Yeah. Um, it was, he, he was that small. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think absolute a, I mean, I'd save the a plus for, Hoskins, but Kingery deserves nothing less than an A. If you're going to knock him down for anything, it's that when he came to Lehigh Valley, his discipline rates seemed to kind of go off course a little bit, and he struck out more and didn't walk enough. Yeah. But, I mean, come on, you know, he just got moved up to AAA, and, you know, he he had this power surge this year, which I think Redding had something to do with it, sure, but the guy clearly had yeah. the ability to hit the ball out of the park, and that will show in the major leagues in a couple of years, but... His speed plays at a very high level. His defense plays at a very high level. 
His hit tool plays at a very high level, and his attitude and leadership qualities seem to be very, very strong. This guy yep. should be a major leaguer next year. He should probably be pretty good by the time the year's over. And this year he proved, as you said, that he has all the skills necessary to translate to the majors very seamlessly. So I'm with you totally on an A. I think an A is exactly what I would give Scott Kingery. Um Finally, J.P. Crawford, who had a very weird year this year, started out badly, 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 and then turned into very good and has been in the major leagues ever since then and has actually been decent. So what do you think? This might not sound nice, no but let's, let's say that at Memorial Day, he was an F-. minus. Um, an F-? minus? <laughs> yeah, that was an old Saved by the Bell episode when Zach Morris got caught cheating. Not only did he get an F, he got an F minus. How does how does Franco get a, a D minus and Crawford get an F minus? Because <laughs> he was just so bad. But Crawford's okay. defense was very good, and he still walked. Okay, now I was, but okay. <laughs> yes, maybe that's a little too harsh. However, I, I'll put him at I'll put him at a, a, a C plus B minus. Because he did turn it around. He That's very did, fair. That's very fair. He did turn it around, and he did, when he got to the majors, that's exactly the I, I think when I was doing, uh, we have a story coming up for, hey, look back at what you did at the beginning, and then look at what he did now. And I think I had his major league numbers exactly what they were. Um, so I don't think there's anything that we didn't expect there. I think we were worried that it wouldn't happen just because that start was so bad and we thought that it might happen again in the majors. But I don't I don't see any reason why you can't give him a C plus or a B minus because he persevered and you know he's still gonna be considered a part of the future until he absolutely proves otherwise. No, I mean I think it's a very fair mark and I'd probably give him a B minus as well. I might trend a little closer to a B, but I think a B minus is pretty much on point. He obviously had a bad start to the year, also twenty two years old in triple A and He's still been trying to kind of figure it all out. And there's something to be said for the fact that something burned under his butt and he realized maybe it was Baseball America, but whatever it was, was like, oh, I am a better player than this. I can do better. And then he became the superhuman player for a while in Lehigh Valley. And, you know, in Philadelphia, he's been pretty decent. I mean, his his contact and hit stuff isn't like the strongest right now, but he gets on base. He's into Tuesday's game. Uh, walked 12 times to 19 strikeouts. It's very good for a rookie. Yep. And um, he's playing incredible defense and in positions, again, that weren't asked of him before the season started. He's playing third base at a strong level, better than Franco. He's played second base, probably better than Hernandez. He's played very good defense. And his wins above replacement is actually, I mean, he's getting close to a win above replacement already, which is actually quite good for a guy who's only played about 18 games, you know, 20 games or whatever it is um, at this point. So I and really think, hasn't, hasn't hit that much either. And he hasn't hit much, yeah. I mean, his, all, most of his value has been in the intangible things that you can't quite, you know, measure very easily. And yeah. that, I think, bodes really well for the future because those are the things that, you know, you need to have. You need to, you need to be a good fielder. You need to be patient at the plate and you need to have some speed. You know, if you're going to be a great all-around player, the hits, the power, that should be able to come in time. And you'll get that with more, you know, experience and, you know, your body's going to fill out and all that junk. So I yeah. think Crawford is, you know, on the right track and a B minus, C plus is fine. I think B minus is probably my grade. Um, and maybe he becomes, you know, like an A kind of player next year. But if not, that's okay too because he's still young. Um, but I think the thing that's funny is like, 
as bad as this team has been this year, Mike, these infielder ratings, I mean, the ones that are bad are bad, but otherwise pretty decent. Especially the ones that are pretty decent are the ones that are for sure going to be here next year. The recent, yeah, the recent guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's good. I mean, it's, it's again, you know, this is kind of the theme of this podcast this week is, is you know, this year sucked, but there's a lot of hope for the future. Oh, please. Let's, let's, let's take one year at a time now. <laughs> um, I know we didn't touch on guys like Ty Kelly and Brock Stassi and Pedro Florimon or anybody like that. Is there anybody that you wanted to give a grade to just because from the infield? No, I think we got everyone. I would give Ty Kelly a straight up A because he had big hits when he needed to get them. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on that one. That the, those seventeen hits he had in eighty-seven at bats, none of them were wasted. Okay, <laughs> seven doubles and two home runs in in seventeen hits, pretty good. <laughs> and that one in San Francisco, we'll always have we'll always have San Francisco. Ty hey, Kelly. if you beat the Giants. You get an A in my book, no matter what, no matter who you are. So, pretty sure. uh, I've made my feelings on Ty Kelly pretty clear. That's it. <laughs> he won't be here next year either. All right, um, Mike Sadowski, thanks for coming on, man. All right, thanks, Sam. Have a good one. Now we bring in Kirsten Swanson, who I wanted to go over the outfielders with her. And uh, Kirsten, I know you have a lot of things to say about Hyunsu Kim, but we'll yep. get okay. I'll try to I'll try to wait. Okay, good. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll run through the whole list here, starting uh, with Lehigh Valley's Dylan Cousins, who I guess we thought would have a better year than uh, expected. But what do you think? I have to say a D. I try not to be so dis- so down on the younger players, but he really did have a disappointing season. After last year, he had about like forty homers with Reading, and this year he only batted two ten. He led the league in strikeouts with almost 200 so it wasn't especially with how crowded the competition is he did not impress at all yeah I'd even give him a d minus um it's funny because him and Reese Hoskins sort of had different years and how they both came through Reading with a lot of hype and we wondered which you know if both of them or if one of them or what have you would kind of have the bad effects of playing in Reading and having that inflated offensive numbers, and it clearly showed that Hoskins did not have that problem, but Cousins did have the problem, and the strikeouts went up, and uh, he looked very lost at the plate the entire season long. Um, and so he's going to have to either figure it out or he just looks like a AAA player for the rest of his career, which is a shame, but um, I, you know, I don't think it's very out of character. Uh, he, he is a very sort of one-note slugger in a lot of ways. But, uh, yeah, D-minus for him. Um, Roman Quinn. Poor guy. I had to give him a D just because he can't stay healthy. Seems like every year we're like, this might be his shot. You know, if he can put together a few good months, he might prove that he is worth a shot up in the big leagues. But he really just can't stay healthy. So for any other reason but that, he has to get a D. Yeah, I'm with you on a D, actually. You know, he actually played okay when he was starting the year in Lehigh Valley. And I figured he'd be the first one called up if – you know, there was an injury or a trade or something in the outfield, but you're right. The injuries just, it stinks. And it's not as if this guy has like chronic problems in a lot of places. It's just, he just has a lot of different injuries that keep bugging him. Uh, hopefully he'll get on the field and stay on the field next year. And maybe that'll bring him to Philadelphia or maybe he's trade bait or something like that. But either way, you just hope that he can get a full season under his belt. But as for now, not so much. All right, um, someone who had a very uh, good season, uh, sort of surprising in a lot of ways, Carlos Tochi. 
I gave him I was teetering between like an A minus and a high B just because it was kind of surprising and he he played really well in Reading. He was like batting three oh seven or something like that. Um he was promoted to AAA late in the season and he didn't fare as well, but I still think it was a successful season for him and again he's only twenty two, so um we'll see what he can do next year up in Lehigh Valley for maybe a full year. Yeah, I like an A minus for him. You know, the, the the knock on him was always that the power wasn't there. And obviously, it's still a ways to go, but he was showing a lot more power in Reading uh, toward uh, the middle part of the season. And again, it's Reading, so, you know, that right. could also help. But the things that he has going for him already are his defense is astounding. You know, I've talked with uh, uh, people over in Reading, and they said, you know, this guy is, is, is unbelievable defensively. Uh, plus, he's got some speed. Plus, he can hit the ball on the ground, and he can leg out hits. And so that kind of stuff plays in the major leagues. He can maybe be like a Ben Revere type even better defensively when he gets to the major leagues if he does so and he's young as you said so I think he had a really good season a minus for sure very tough one here Mickey Moniak who did not have a very good season in Lakewood no I gave him a b minus just because it was his first full pro season and he's only 19 and he played pretty well in the first half I think he's bad at like 270 328 392 in the first half and then kind of just deteriorated towards the latter part of the season just because he never played that many games and in his whole career. So I give him a B minus just because he is 19. It was your first year in pro balls is pretty difficult. So um, I'm not worried about him at all. So you're being a little generous, I think I know. Um, with him. I'm going to give him a C. Uh, I could even almost give him a C minus. Here's the thing. He's the first overall pick in the draft a couple of years yeah. ago. So, and I know that the Phillies sort of went the um, easy route or the, or the safe route with Moniak. Um, you know, they knew that they can get him under slot and then they could, you know, put more money in Cole Stovey and guys like that. But this guy's the first overall pick and he was supposed to be, you know, a blue chip guy for the most part. So you would expect him to have better numbers throughout the season. Even when he was in the first half playing well, he still wasn't hitting that well his own base percentage was okay um he didn't have the power yet but he's 19 obviously that's going to come uh but but the strikeout rates were still a little higher than they than they should be yeah. for a kid who's supposed to have a little bit more of an eye um and then as you said the second half he just tailed off and i think you're right you know it's his first full season playing a lot of games and so that really took a toll on him plus he's a you know high school age kid who's going to Lakewood New Jersey so you know, what are you going to do um no offense to Lakewood but you know <laughs> any small town in, in minor league land is going to do that to any kid yeah. so yeah i think there's certainly still no reason to panic over this guy but i think he could have had a better season so i'm going to give him a c just to be fair i think a c minus is fine yeah. but you are very optimistic on i this, am so. i would be the best teacher in the world because it was pretty hard trying to give like oh they deserve it on the worst. I would not be a good teacher. Yeah, you're working with the wrong set of kids, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam Hazley, the uh, first round draft pick from the Phillies in 2017. Uh, what do you think? I'd say B minus, and that's probably I think more fair to him than it was to Mickey Moniak. Um, nothing really special or stand out, but nothing to be worried about. Um, he moved pretty quickly throughout. He started the golf course, I think, what a couple games. Then went to Williamsport for. Like, a little less than 40. I mean, yeah, and then went to Lakewood. So, he, like, uh, his play discipline, I think, is what is key, especially for this group. I think the front office is really strong on that, so that can get him far. Um, but B-minus, nothing special, but nothing to be too alarming. Yeah, I think uh, a B is probably where I'd put him. Uh, even B-minus is okay, but I think a B is where I'd put him. Um 
he looked fine. You know, he, he came out of a, a situation where he was playing college ball, and so, you know, he had a little bit more, like, of a... Of a he was ready and fresh to kind of play some more games uh, over Moniac. So, you know, he looked like he was still fresh, and his bat can still translate. Um, and, yeah, he moved through Williamsport pretty quickly. Obviously, he was too good for that group. It'll be interesting to see what happens this coming year because I was talking with Jeff Israel a couple of weeks back, and he, I think, alluded to the fact that he might go to Clearwater uh, pretty quickly out. I don't think the Phillies want to have him and Moniac in center field together, and I wouldn't be surprised if Moniac starts the year in Lakewood again. So that would just put at Hazley up in Clearwater, and we'll see what he does. Maybe he can move really quick through there if he can have a strong you know, time down in the heat where it's a little bit easier to hit the baseball. So we'll see, uh, but I think it'd be for him. All right. The man you've been waiting to hear about, Hyunsoo Kim, who the Phillies picked up in the Jeremy Hellickson trade. I know you have opinions. I do. I mean, I'm just chomping at the bit to get at this. Um, I would give him a D. I mean, that's probably not fair because he really wasn't brought in with much expectations and he didn't, hasn't gotten a shot, but I don't think he really deserves a shot. Um, yeah, a D. He is what he is. He was brought in just as a throw-in piece and he's not going to be here next year and he might not even be in the MLB next year. So um, a D, I think, is pretty fair. What I like about Hyunsoo Kim uh, is that the Phillies were employing guys in 2015 and 16 who would have been like Hyunsoo Kim, but out of spring training. So, like, you know, if you remember, um, I, I, now I forget his name, the outfielder that they picked up from, like, the Braves organization who played in right field on opening day a couple of years ago. Um oh, remember his name? I'm, I can picture his face. Yeah. He had a home run, It'll like, in the to first me. week. It will come to like, me. Ooh. Yeah. Well, or Jimmy Paredes, right, who got right. a lot of time uh, for the team in 2000. I think it was last year, actually. God, it doesn't seem that long ago. Um, Hunsu Kim would have been that kind of guy, but he, of course, moved quickly down the depth chart because of the youth that is finally in Philadelphia. So he was a very little consequence, and I put him in this just because he almost got 100 plate appearances. Um, but I would give him, yeah, a D's fine. I mean, his on-base percentage is actually a little higher than I imagined it would have been, but he's, of, again, little consequence. And maybe the Phillies are going to bring him back next year, sort of like, you know, see if you can be the fifth outfit on this team. But um, I'd rather them not, honestly. Uh, you know, they can get a veteran for any amount of money next year to plug in with the other guys and be a lot more inspirational than Hyunsoo Kim. No offense to him. Um, moving on, Cameron Perkins, who I guess could be a fifth outfielder next year for the Phillies, but again, also struggled a lot for the Phillies this year. What do you think about Perkins? I give him like a C, C minus. He's kind of a guy who's just like, uh, okay. He does, he struggled with the Phillies, but again, did he not get a lot of shots? Maybe that can be part of it. Cause he played fairly well in Lehigh Valley, much better than he did, um, with the big league club. Um, but again, C, C minus, he doesn't do anything for me if he can have, Put together a nice spring. Maybe he can make the team's a fifth outfielder, but I feel like he's one of the ones that are kind of going to be stuck in limbo and be a minor leaguer, maybe with at least with his career with the Phillies. Yeah, I'd, I'd give him a C minus. I think you're right on with that. You know, he, as you said, he played well in Lehigh Valley. He earned the right to go to Philadelphia when he was brought up, but. The Phillies just had nowhere to put him as a starter. There's no reason to put him. I mean, he looks like he's born to be a fifth outfielder or even a, or maybe a fourth outfielder for another team. Um, and maybe that'll happen in a couple of years for him. But he still obviously needs to learn a little bit more about playing in the major leagues. And he'll get more time in AAA, I'm sure, either with the Phillies or with another franchise. Um, you know, it, he just it was not the right guy for the right moment. Uh, but I think his AAA numbers, which we do factor into these grades a little bit uh, for sure, I think they allow him to kind of move up into that C-minus territory. Uh, but again, like Hyunsoo Kim, little consequence with Cameron Perkins. 
Daniel Nava, who actually was of much higher consequence for the Phillies this year. Yes, I gave him a B plus just because I think he came in and did what he was supposed to do. Um, his injuries limited his contribution, so that goes against him. Maybe he can knock him down to like a B. Um, but I think he came, he did what he came to do. So we'll see what happens next year. I'm going to give him an A minus. Nice. Um, you're right that the injuries definitely. I mean, we could have traded him for something, yes, exactly. you know, if not for the injuries. But that obviously curtailed the Phillies' plans. But sometimes injuries just happen. And, you know, I think what he gave the Phillies was way above and beyond what we ever expected Daniel Nava to give the Phillies. He basically had, in rates, a career season, 301, 393, 421. He had four homers and 21 RBI, eight doubles, a triple. He was really good. I mean, 26 walks to 38 strikeouts. If he played a full season and was healthy, he would have, you know, potentially been the best fourth outfitter in baseball, you know, without a doubt. Very good year. Um, it's just a shame that he got hurt. But I'll give him an A minus because, you know, I Daniel Nava was very good for the Phillies and I and I liked what he did. I thought I thought it was nice to have him on the team this year. Me too, I agree. All right. All right. Okay, so the big three here coming up, uh the starting outfield probably for next year. Starting with my favorite player maybe on the team, Odubel Herrera. Ditto, he is my favorite player as well. I gave him a B plus and the only reason why I didn't go to it a minus A is just because the slow start and he's been struggling a little bit in the last week or so. Um, and sometimes it's head scratching miscues, which I find funny just because he is productive, but I probably want to be as funny if he wasn't mm-hmm. as productive. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a solid ball player he just has to work on some things. I think his approach with runners in scoring position, I mean, is, is ugly. Um, so if he can work on that a little bit, I think he is a solid, solid, solid center fielder for the Phils. Some of this is controversial on my end. I'm probably going to give him a B minus. Um, I struggle with B, B minus, but I think B minus is where I'm landing on him. Again, probably my favorite player on the team. But he did have a little bit of a down year as compared to his previous two years offensively. Uh, the strikeout numbers are still very high. You know, as you said, his uh, his ability with runners in scoring position is still a little impaired. You know, he had a great year hitting balls into the gap, and the doubles, 40 of them, uh, as of this recording, is fantastic. You know, his defense was very good, and yet the rates on his defense, the the defensive scoring shows that maybe he wasn't as good defensively. But I think the eye test would tell you that Odubel had a very good year defensively, better than his previous two years. Um, The miscues... We've talked about him a lot, and I've talked about him with other guys who record with me on the podcast, and they're not as much fans of them. But, you know, Odubel's interesting. I think there's always going to be players like him who have a lot going on in their heads, and sometimes the really weird stuff come out, and he misplays something, or he forgets where he is on the base pass, or he forgets the count, or something stupid like that. If the guy is an above-average offensive player, or even above-average defensive player, if he's above-average in something, I think you can live with those things. And so I think Odubel, despite the miscues, which I think knock him down a peg, aren't necessarily a backbreaker for me. Um, That said, he's not a number one player on a team. I don't think he's even a number two player on a team. I think a good baseball team would have an Odubel Herrera as like a number four or five best offensive player, a la Shane Victorino back when the Phillies were really good in 2007, yep. 8, and 9. Um, so I think he's worthy, and I think he's valuable, but I think this year just showed he's got 
more learning to do. He's 25 years old. He's in his third major league season. He came up from double A. He's an outfielder, you know, turned from the infield, and it still takes time to learn the best, posi- the, the toughest position in the outfield. So he has a lot of learning to do, but I think overall a better season than average. And so I think we are, we're in agreement on that. Agreed. Agreed on the agreement. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you do you think before we get off of Odubel, do do you think that the Phillies might entertain a trade regarding Herrera in the offseason because of anybody in that outfield he has the most proven value? I wanna say nothing's off the table, but I think the Phillies are still in that wait and see mode. I think unless if something blows them away and, you know, if starting pitchers involved, they might pull the trigger. But I think next season is the season like let's just give this one more go. Let's see if we can get a whole full season out of this outfield get a whole full season out of the Hoskins and the um, J.P. Crawfords. So I think I would be surprised if it happened this year. If, again, if they go through all next season with a full outfield and he still puts up the same numbers and they have and the guys behind them are playing well in Lehigh Valley, they might be more in tune to, to pull the trigger. But I would be surprised if it happened this offseason. Yeah, I think it's probably the most likely scenario that the Phillies trade for pitching in the offseason. Nobody, for some reason, has talked about that possibility. They've all been talking about the free agent market. But I think the Phillies could potentially dangle like a Carlos Tochi plus something else for pitching. And that could get them like a number two or three starter, potentially. I mean, I don't know if Tochi will get you a two starter, but um, you'd have to have a package. But... I don't think trading any outfielders to get outfielders or anything like that is in the cards yet. As you said, I think we should have a whole year with these three guys before we make any big moves offensively because this offense has finally just come together. The clear need is pitching on this team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, all right, so Nick Williams, who came up in June, uh, and you know we'll, we'll, we'll include the Lehigh Valley stuff in there too. He struggled a little bit, got together, and now he's in the majors and has had a pretty decent year in Philadelphia. What do you think? I give him an A minus. Um, I think just because he's been pretty much up until the last few weeks, like Herrera has been pretty much a model of consistency. Um, he's had success against lefties. I think his numbers are pretty much identical um, to righties, and his play discipline improved, which is why he was brought up in June in the first place. Um, so I give him an A minus. All right, so I, I'm going to be the pessimist again. I'm going to give him it. a B. Um, and and a B is because Lehigh Valley. He started out a little slow. He finally got himself going, you know, sort of May, June, and the on-base percentage did get better. I mean, it was kind of like out of nowhere. The light came on, and he finally started taking walks. Um, And that carried over into Philadelphia, but he kind of got off that, you know, in the last few weeks. So I'd like to see that improve a little bit before the season ends. There's not a lot of time left, but we'll see. Uh, but overall, good season. You know, his his run production is quite good. I mean, he's 52 runs batted in through uh, Tuesday's game. Um, and, I mean, the 52 runs batted in is the same as Odubel Herrera, who's played a whole season. So it's really astounding to see Nick Williams just driving in runs at the clip that he has. Uh, the defense is fine. Um, he's made some really good plays. Uh, he doesn't have the best range in the world, but he's not a big hurt there in right field. I think overall, good year, but I still think there's a couple things that knock him down, and a B is where I would put him. But I think somewhere in the middle, like a B-plus is like a good grade for him. Yeah, I can respect that. Um, okay, Aaron Altair, who, very interesting season, and maybe maybe the best hitter on the team this year. What do you think? Yeah, I just gave him a B just because of the injuries. I think if it wasn't for the injuries, it would have been an A-minus. Like, Williams, um, yeah, he's just really, really, really impressive. He's a He's a... A solid hitter. Um, if you can stay on the field next year, I'm really excited to see what numbers he puts up. I'm going to go B plus for Altair. Um, 
Yeah, the injuries stink, and like Roman Quinn, it's like it's not as if this guy has one problem that keeps keeps coming back. Right. It's it's something new all the time. So I'm confident that you know I'm not confident, but I'm hoping that next year it'll be a full season of just no major problems. He can just sail through, and he has the ability to be a middle of the order, you know, two eighty. 350, 550 kind of hitter who can get you 25 to 30 home runs in a full season. That's really good. And none of us ever thought that was possible. I mean, we all thought going into this year that Altair had to prove whether he could be on a team, right? That he was going to be like a fourth outfielder type. And he's, he's completely showed to be a top flight offensive player. So, um, what did I say? B plus or B? You said B plus. <laughs> B plus. See, I, I forget once they start talking. Um, B plus for Aaron Altair. Um, so you think next year it's going to be Altair for Aaron Williams? That's what I hope. I really hope so. I think the Phillies, unless again, unless they get blown away with a package, including starting pitching and even um, a reliever thrown in there, I think they would be foolish to give up on these three guys. Throw them out there. See what they can do for even the first half of the next season um, and see what we got. Yeah, I honestly think that the Phillies should basically go ahead with almost the exact lineup that they have now, except for Alfaro, a catcher, instead of Rupp, and uh, Crawford at shortstop instead of Galvis. And, you know, even keep Franco on the team and just see what happens. Uh, And if Franco can improve, he can improve. If not, you can cut bait. But just give them all, like, another half year to see what they can do. Um, But, hey, we we finally have something, which is really nice to see. It's really nice. Oh, I did want to give you one more guy to rate. Michael Saunders. (laughs) <laughs> can we do like a what's a g it's a g what's below an f oh g, man i forgot all g, about him honestly g for uh i don't know gone or good riddance g, yeah good riddance or you know it's a shame because i yeah. you know i advocated for him i actually said that the Phillies should pick him up i think a lot of us did say that yeah we all thought he'd be the right pick for the team he just stop becoming a major league player this year and it's just you know whatever happened uh he he completely lost it so i'm sure he will resurface next year with the cardinals and have an amazing absolutely that's how it goes always that's always how it goes damn Cardinals. (laughs) all right kirsten uh thanks for coming on i appreciate it now i bring in Corey sharp who's gonna go over the pitching staff with me Again, we're not going to do every player that pitched for the Phillies in 2017 because we don't want to give a grade to Henderson Alvarez, for God's sakes, um, or even Clay Buckholz or Jeremy Hellickson because they're no longer part of the team. There's no point in doing all that. So we're going to go over guys who really are important for this franchise right now. Um, we could go over like Sixto Sanchez and things like that, but they're not that close to the major leagues, so no point in doing that. We'll do the guys in the majors and those very close to it. Um, and I think that's actually, we're just doing major leaguers. So, Corey, okay, here we go. Hobie Milner, what's your grade for the lefty? Uh, Hobie Milner, I give a, I give a B- minus to Hobie Milner. Um, I think he's pitched pretty well. Um, very, very effective against lefties. And, you know, the old adage in baseball, you can never have enough lefties in your bullpen. And uh, his opponent's average is 170 against lefties, so... Yeah, there's there's definitely a spot for him, so I'd, I'd give him a, a B minus. Sometimes I wish I was a left-handed pitcher. I think you'd see me in the major leagues. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the old adage. Um, I'd probably give him like a B. Um, I think the walk rates are a little too high at this point. He walks about one every two innings that he pitches. 
But mm-hmm. for a guy who, you know, we let dangle in the Rule 5 and the Indians picked him up and then didn't keep him, so we were able to get him back. I mean, hey, you know, we're lucky to have him back because he's pitched pretty decently for us. So I, I give him yeah. a B, um, but I think a B- minus is totally fair with that. Um, yeah, I think it's actually kind of interesting, too. He walks more righties than he does lefties, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it might just be that, you know, the changeup isn't quite the pitch that he wants or, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's just something not working with that, you know, sort of configuration. But he's young. He's 26, so hopefully, you know, maybe he can uh, improve that with time. Um, Ed Ubre Ramos, who has had a very eventful season uh, with the Phillies and down in the, in the minors as well. What about him? Yeah, um, yeah, I, it kind of it's kind of been a tale of two seasons. Um, I I give him a C. He was pretty bad, um, you know, the first half of the year to the point where they demoted him. Um, and now after that, I think it was a string of uh, four or five outings where he gave up two or three runs every time. Mm-hmm. And since since he's come back, he, he hasn't been he hasn't been bad. He's you know a three point oh four ERA his last twenty one games. Um, I, I just think he he hangs his curveball too much. I mean, and when when he does that, I mean, it's like a meatball up there, and, and <laughs> I think he really he does it too much for me to give him a higher mark for that. Yeah, I think a C's fine. I mean, I don't want to have recency bias with him because he has pitched well recently, and we forget how bad he was at times in the first part of the season. There were also times in the first part of the season that he was okay, but you know, for the most part, he wasn't good. But I think a C is totally what I would give him. His strikeout rates are good. He strikes out like 11 per nine or something like that. Um, 72 strikeouts this year to 54 innings. So all good stuff. And hopefully, you know, he carries on what he did in the second half to next year. If not, then we're looking at again, another guy who we're just kind of, going through the motions with, and, and I, I'm ready for a time when the Phillies don't have guys in the bullpen who are going through the motions with. Um, Ricardo Pinto, who, again, has kind of also had a weird season along with Ramos. He's sort of been good and bad at times. Yeah, it's pretty – like, when you look at his, like, his game logs, he's either he's either pretty good where he's, he's not, you know, he's, going he's there terribly for bad. inning. He's terribly bad he, when he's bad. Or, or, right, he's, I mean, atrociously bad. I yeah. mean – where there's no words for it, so um, I, I, great. It's like that's kind of tough. I mean, I, I guess a, like a D plus because when he's when he's bad, he's he's just like awful, and it'll pitch you out of a game. Yeah, I I'd almost even go with a D, um, and I'm factoring in his AAA uh, uh, performance too, where you know he was a starter to begin the year, and he just wasn't working out, and then they moved him to the bullpen, and he sort of improved there. Uh, but he still had some of the same problems that he had in the rotation. Uh, but he showed enough improvement that when the Phillies needed a reliever, they brought him in. And you're right. When he's bad, he's absolutely atrocious. But when he's good, he's actually decent. But the walk rates are not very good. He has 17 walks in under 30 innings this year, which is not very good. Um, he needs to work on a lot of things. He's still 23, so I think there's still a little bit of room for him to grow into a good reliever because he just, I mean, he did just move over to that uh, bullpen. So, but I think a, a D is 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 about right. D D plus is okay. D, you know, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, Victor Arano, uh, who started the year injured and then came in and basically was put into Philadelphia almost immediately. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's, he's pitched pretty pretty well up here. I mean, we we've only seen him seven times so far. Um. You know. I mean, he's been he's been good. Uh. But but it, he pitched in in double A this year. And it's not like he was tearing it up down there either. I mean, he had a 4.19 ERA and he gave up 39 hits in 38 and two thirds innings. So 
he wasn't dominant. I, I don't expect him to be dominant up here. I guess if I had to give him a grade for his season, I, I guess I would, it would be around a C plus C. Yeah, I, I, I probably go B minus. I mean, this is one of, this is really the one guy who doesn't really have much of a sample that we're going off of, but just because he's probably part of next year's bullpen, I wanted to put him in this. Um, so I think like a B minus or C plus or even a C is fine for him. So I think we're all kind of in agreement there yeah. with him. Um, Luis Garcia, what do you think? Um, he has A plus 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 stuff, um, and, I, and I think <laughs> we saw this year that he started to put it together. Um, I mean, it, it's not every day you have a guy that throws ninety eight, ninety nine, and with a, a good slider like him. Um, so I think it was good that he's put it together. But the only thing is, is kind of little concerning with his stuff that good. He's only struck out fifty six guys in sixty eight and a third innings. You, you would think he'd strike out yeah. more. Um, but nevertheless, he, he has been been pr- he's been very very good this year. I, I give him a B overall. Yeah, I would say B minus. Um, and I'm actually looking at that strikeout rate as the reason I would knock him down a little bit. You know, if you're going to be a late innings reliever, you need to have better strikeout rates. Also, as I mentioned before, I think last podcast, he's already 30, so it's not as if we're looking at a guy who's like developing into a great pitcher. He's kind of peaked into what he's going to be and I think what he probably is is more of a middle innings you know can get some tough outs guy but for the most part you don't want to put him in the biggest spots so I think he's comfortably in that sort of range and the Phillies are probably a little lucky for getting what they're getting out of him this year but um yeah B B what did you give him a B plus or B I'd give him a B minus. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm one below you, um, but I think that's fine. You know, look, he's had a decent yeah, season. Yeah. Um, Hector ne- Hector Neris, the closer. Um, man, I, I was I'm a little disappointed with Hector. I, I I really thought he would like emerge as like a, a top closer this year. So I thought he had his, that splitter. I'm not saying he's a Mariano Rivera, but I'm just saying that he like he had an out pitch, and that's what most closers have. Um, but we haven't seen it um, as effective as it was last year. Um, but having said that, I mean, he's still, she struck out 80 guys in 71 in the third innings and only 67 hits. I mean, that's not bad considering that his, yeah. uh, his split wasn't, isn't as good as, as it was last year, but overall I'd probably give him a B minus because I, I think he could have been better. So I don't think he was ever going to be a top closer sort of guy. I think like Garcia, the Phillies are sort of, you know, overvaluing, not overvaluing, but they're putting him in a spot that's probably one level above what he really is. I think Neris at his peak, and again, another older guy, he's 28, so he's almost at his peak, or if not at his peak now. He's really more of like an eighth inning guy or maybe even a middle reliever sort of guy on a good team. So I think the Phillies, again, are lucky for getting this kind of performance out of him. But that said, he's been quite good. The strikeout numbers, as you said, were really good. Um, his ERA is higher than it should be only because in the early part of the season he had some really bad outings that uh, inflated that a bit. I'd give him B plus, to be honest with you. I think he sort of outperformed, again, what everybody – I think he outperformed what his true talent is and his true makeup as a, as a baseball player is. I just don't think he's a ninth inning guy. And I think a better Phillies team would probably put him sort of as the number two or three best reliever on that squad. Mm-hmm. So B plus for Hector Neris, I would give him. Um, Adam Morgan, maybe the most interesting relief arm this season for the Phillies. Uh, and he did not start that way. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, it's awesome to see. I mean, you know, so many of us, you know, including myself kind of, 
wrote him off this year, and, and he was he was pretty bad earlier in the year. But his last 18 outings, .75 ERA, 14 hits in 24 innings, 28 strikeouts. I mean, he he's been dominant. I mean, he's probably been one of one of the best pitchers the last you know month and a half on on the team. Um, so having said that, his ERA is under four, if you can believe it. I, I yeah. give him a B minus. I mean, you know, he's re- really come back. He's throwing the ball a lot harder, which I wrote a piece on that um, a couple weeks ago. That there's more of a discrepancy between his his fastball and his uh, curveball now, and his off speed than than in prior years past because he's throwing the ball harder. Yeah, I I mentioned recency bias with Edubrey Ramos, but I think you don't have to apply recency bias as much, or you can apply recency bias, I should say, with Adam Morgan, because he is a different pitcher than he was to start the year. He was also thrown into a different situation in the second part of the year, and because of that, he's become so much better. I mean, the lefty splits themselves are absurd, (laughs) and the fact that the Phillies kind of unearthed this great lefty reliever out of Adam Morgan, and hopefully that continues, is really cool to see. So I would give him a B plus. I'm almost hedging. I'd almost give him an A minus. Um, but because he started out the year so poorly, a B, a B plus is where I'll cap him. Um, again, that's me being a little more recency bias favoring right. with him, but I think it's okay. Mm. I'm okay with that. <laughs> if we're going to, if we're going to give anybody recency bias, it'd be exactly. Good. All right, to the starters, and a lot of really interesting names here, some who did very poorly, some who did quite well. Here's an interesting one. Jake Thompson, who is, as we're recording this, is on the mound right now and pitching, and he pitched well, or he was on the mound, and he pitched well against the uh, Nationals. His season's probably over. His ERA is under four. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think we've been using the word meh lately to describe some of the things. Um yeah, the, the team really, and uh, he hasn't done anything that's really impressed me too much. Um, had a very disappointing year in in Triple A. I, I think his ERA was over five. Um, you know, I, I don't think his stuff is too great. I, I'd give him a C C minus overall. I think it's going to be tough for him to, to crack the rotation next year, um, especially over a guy like Eshelman, who yeah, we're talking about recency bias. What have you done for me lately? It's it's Eshelman kind of the guy now. So I. It's going to be tough for him to crack the the rotation next year. Yeah, I, I so Jake Thompson is an interesting case for me because you know the, as you said the Lehigh Valley numbers were poor, quite poor. I think his ERA was actually close mm-hmm. to six, um, and he was in the bullpen for a little while. He was in the bullpen in Philadelphia for a while, um, and then he comes in the late part of the season and suddenly turns into a pretty decent pitcher. As you said, he doesn't have amazing stuff, and that's been shown. But he's getting outs, so <laughs> um, I'm looking. Uh, his final start, he had five innings against the Nationals, so that's Tuesday night. Um, so you know he's not overpowering or anything. He's not going deep into games, but he is getting guys out. So <sighs> I'd go C, uh. I guess. If you're giving a C minus, I'd go C. Um, you know, I don't think you can just look away from the major league success at the end of the year. But at the same time, there is a lot of smoke and mirrors into that for sure. Um, you know, the strikeout to walk ratio isn't great either, obviously. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'd give him a C. Yeah. Uh, I'm being a little charitable, I guess. We're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the most, like, like I wasn't really excited about that great option. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know about Jake Thompson going yeah, to the really. future. Um, 
All right, Nick Pavetta, who I think is kind of an opposite of Jake Thompson in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, definitely. Another guy, I think, with the you know, a-, a stuff, um, i give him a D this year. Um, I-, I think he's been pretty disappointing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a rookie struggling, but, you know, I, I think by this point, we I kind of wish I saw some growth from him. I know his last two outings have been a little bit better, but he has the third worst ERA among pitchers that uh, have, have over 100 innings pitched. And when he's like, when he starts getting beat early, I mean, it, it, the game's over. Like, I feel like he takes himself out of the game, um, and I, that's something I don't think we should should be seeing by now. Yeah, I I'd, I'd probably go with a D plus for him. Um, I guess I'm being slightly more optimistic than you are, but. Uh, Pavetta, it's funny because he I'm, – I'm actually surprised to see this. He has the um, – he started the second most games of any filler this year, which just looking at the numbers now, it's like, whoa, I guess that's real. Um, and it didn't seem like that. But he has just as many innings pitched as Jared Eikhoff this year, and that should go up with his final start, obviously, past Eikhoff. And his numbers are like – they're sort of similar in a lot of ways to Eikhoff, except that – Pavetta's home runs are a little bit, I mean, he's given up a lot more home runs, uh, but his strikeouts are more. I mean, he, he struck out a lot, 133 strikeouts in 128 yeah. innings, so he's got really good strikeout stuff, and I feel like that will translate a little better if he can keep the ball down, and that's just the problem. He got, he's got to keep the ball down. Um, but I think the, the, the metrics are there for him to be a better pitcher. And I think they show that he's a better pitcher this year than the raw numbers gave him credit. So I'm going to be slightly more optimistic and go D plus. And I think he should get more of a shot at the rotation next year than probably any of the young guys, just because his stuff is translatable to the majors. Um, Mark Leiter Jr., whose stuff is not translatable to the majors. <laughs> no, his stuff isn't translatable to the majors but i mean i i'd, I'd give him a b for uh overall this year i i really think he, he did a really nice job um for the team and the way he stepped up as a starter you know he another guy right like you said his stuff isn't too translatable he's not going to blow anybody away but i mean yeah he's a rookie I don't, I don't think he pitches like a rookie to be honest with you i think he's pretty heady out yeah. there and I think he's more. He pitches as if he had a dad who and an uncle who pitched in the majors. Yeah, as well. and, and that that could help as well. I mean, you know, he's more of a strikeout pitcher than than we thought. You know, seventy nine strikeouts and eighty six in the third. Um, definitely, that's nothing to. That's no slouch. That's not slouch numbers right there. So, I, I think Mark Leiter yeah. did a heck of a job this year. No, he 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 did. And I don't want to. I don't want to disparage him or anything like that. Um, but yeah, he he sort of. I guess gave us a little bit of an injection of, Oh, this is kind of nice. You know, when the Phillies were really, really bad there in sort of July after that post all-star break streak mm-hmm. that they had uh, later kind of came in and was like, Oh, I can pitch a little bit. So good to see that happen. And I would give him probably a B minus, um, you know, the B range is fine, but B minus I would give him just some of the, you know, he doesn't have like overpowering stuff. And I think a lot of the strikeouts were sort of lucky, yeah. but um, you know, you can't necessarily argue with strikeouts all the time. Right. So um, good season. You know, he, he helped us in, in ways that I don't think any of us thought he would help us in um, Ben lively. Yeah. Ben lively. Um, he's pretty kind of similar to, to lighter. I'd say I'd give him a C plus just a, you know, a little inconsistent um, again, not, not going to blow you away. His his strikeouts are even um, worse yeah. than uh, the Mark Leiter's. So, 
Um, he's got Moxie though. Yeah, I mean he he's probably a fourth or fifth starter. You know, um, I don't think he has great stuff. But yeah, I, I think he's a he's a serviceable guy. I don't think he's he's an awful pitcher by any means. So yeah, an average. I think he's an average starter. I give him a, a C, C plus. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. Actually, C plus is good. Um, I think he's probably more of a six starter. <laughs> like he's the guy that you know, if the Phillies have an injury early in the year, I'd be totally fine if they brought him up from Lehigh Valley. I'd rather see him in Lehigh Valley next year. I don't know if he'd like that, but that's where I'd like to see him. Um, as you said, the strike the strikeout numbers are not good, uh, and you know he gets you out in a different way, which is nice to see. But you know he has to have slightly better stuff to kind of make that happen. Right, to stick. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, the four three five ERA is is pretty generous for him mm-hmm. this year. So C plus. Um, Zach Eflin, who obviously left the team pretty early this year with a sixty day DL stint. Uh, so you know, he still had sixty five innings of major league work. What do you think? Um, I'm a, I'm a Zach Eflin guy. I really like him. Um, just just the thing is, I mean, when he's off, he, he's throwing batting practice. And unfortunately, he's he's been off more times than he's been on uh, his major league career. But like what we see flashes of him where where he'll go. I mean, when he's on, he's throwing eighty five an eighty five pitch complete game, and and uh, you know so this year when he came up, his first four starts were really good, and then you know, like you said, mm-hmm. he just throws batting practice. Um, you know, his next five starts. So I, I just wish wish he um, you know he he kept keeps the ball down because he could be very very good very efficient when when he's on but it has, hasn't been the case so i'd give him a, a, a d yeah i think d's right you know he looks like he can be a complete pitcher as you said but there's a lot of things that we still have to sort out with him how much of his problems were injury related how much is the fact that he only struck out 35 and 64 innings this right. year um you know like how much of it is he's just hittable and that's really what it is he was very hittable this year so, uh, you D, I mean, I almost go D minus, but, you know, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess, because as you said, you know, he's, he does have flashes, uh, but they just weren't there this year at all. They just weren't there. Um, Vince Velasquez, here is an interesting one. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'd give him an F. I mean, you know, he got hurt again. His still had the same problems, um, not going deep into games, uh, walking guys, um, so as a starter, I, I'd give him an F for for this past year. I'm not saying he he can't, um, you know, develop still develop into a starter and or a reliever. Um, you know, he's got the talent. Everybody sees it. We, you know, but you know, what, what, do you, what else can you? What else do you want? I mean, yeah, it's an F. Yeah, I I, I feel weird giving Eflin like a D minus and then Velasquez an F because. <laughs> Because Velasquez, I think, showed better stuff than right. Eflin this year in their time together. Uh, it's just that Velasquez just underperformed with that stuff. You know, the expectations are much higher for Velasquez than for Eflin, so it's sort of unfair. I would I, so for that, I'd give him a D minus, just because I don't want to be, you know, I I I just I, I don't know. I I don't want to play the expectation game. I you know just as a season D minus. I'd almost either give them both. Like I would give F one and Velasquez both Fs or D minuses together. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so that's it. And you're right. It just got under my skin so much that he couldn't get through four innings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know you you can't if you're going to be a starting pitcher in major leagues you have to get through 
six yeah. innings, you know, <laughs> let alone four. So just just a really tough year, and who knows what's going to happen next yeah. year with that. Um, here's a guy who didn't play in the major leagues this year and just wanted to put him in there for fun, Mark Appel. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mark, but you're getting an F from me. Um, yeah. You know, he had a 5.7 ERA, and, he, and he's not here, and he's, and he's getting older. So, uh, you know, that's my grade. Yeah. The walks, uh, too many, way too many. And uh, just, you know, didn't ever show to be a guy who can go deep into a game and dominate. And, you know, I know the Phillies put a flyer on him with that as part of that trade. You know, and, and who knows if there is a an actual reality where instead of Appel, they would have got uh, the outfielder from the Astros, whose name escapes me now, um, who made the majors and had a very good start to his uh, career. But Appel just totally underperformed in every uh asset maybe maybe aspect and maybe maybe he can come back next year but yeah i mean i think it's, it's safe one. to say you know I, I mean i'm not gonna write him off but i'm not gonna count on him ever so yeah yeah Derek fisher by the way is yeah. the asterisk player who maybe they got in that trade but they didn't um jared eikoff who again another one who was uh lost to the season earlier than expected although he got 24 starts in which again uh, it feels so long ago since jared eikoff right. pitched but what do you give I him? give him a d um very i thought disappointing um the same same problems with him the second and third time through the order he, he really struggles and this year i mean he was he walked a ton of guys he walked more guys this year than he did last year and way less starts you know he started every game last year and this year i think like you said 24 and already walked more guys uh and he's already 27 too so you know he's not you know he's not 22 23 still learning um so like i said kind of kind of disappointing for eikoff um so i mean i don't know how much of that too was was injury related um but if you just you know i don't know so i'm going by performance and i give him a d so the name that I compare Eikhoff to now, and this might not be exciting for a lot of people out there, Kyle Kendrick. <laughs> um, when I when Eikhoff came into the league and uh, the majors, he immediately looked special. Yeah. And it was the same way that we felt about Kendrick in 2007 because he came up from the minors and was immediately effective. And not just that, he was going deep into games and guys, you know, other other teams weren't being able, weren't hitting him that well. Um but the problem was that Eikhoff, like Kendrick in the past, was relying mostly on one pitch to get a lot of outs. Right. And, you know, Eikhoff the curveball, Kendrick the sinker. And it took a little time, but guys started to figure out Kendrick in about 2008 or so, 2009, just as guys are figuring out Eikhoff now. And the fact that he hasn't really developed that third pitch is really coming to bite him now. And, and, and you've seen that this year. The strikeout numbers are still pretty decent, um, obviously, um, but he's getting hit a lot more. And, you know, if you're going to get hit more than once an inning in the major leagues, you'd better have exceptional strikeout stuff. And he doesn't. He has good strikeout stuff. So I think Eikhoff is potentially in that Kendrick track. Maybe he's a little bit better than Kendrick was, but he's probably more like a four or five starter at his best. And maybe the Phillies might not be able to, you know, go along with that for the future. They need to find guys who can be top flight starters right now. I would give Eikhoff a D, a D. I would give him a D because he still is a little bit better than what we saw from the real Drek this year. Yeah. But he obviously is not the pitcher that we had hoped. Well, for the for him to be uh, like Kyle Kendrick, he would have to be pranked and traded to Japan. <laughs> yeah, and, and and really believe it. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think anybody on this team would believe it. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> 2017. Um, 
Aaron Nola, finally, uh, the best pitcher on the Philly staff, obviously, uh, at least starters, and, and really you could say anybody. Aaron Nola. I'm giving him an A. Come on, we got to give somebody an A on this team, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, understandable. I'd 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 give him um, I'd give him an I'd give him an A minus. A minus. I'd give him an A minus. Um, only because. And it's not injury related, but it's more you know he did struggle a little bit even after the injury. At yeah, times. he's a little inconsistent um, still. He can be inconsistent, yes, but a minus. I mean, look, he's he's a, I think he's a number two starter on just about every staff in the right. league now. Um, and I mean, he might need a like maybe we see another like ten starts out of him just to like confirm that. But he's very good. His strikeout stuff is. Exceptional. He goes deep into games. He is when he's on the mound. You feel like okay, we have a chance tonight, which is something that we haven't really said about anybody since Cole Hamels. Yeah, no, and I, I'm I just I'm like in love with this curveball. Like Jared Eikhoff has a good curveball, but it's just the movement on Nola's that I think it's just so much more effective than, than like a twelve to six. Yeah. Like his his curveball isn't a twelve to six. It's more it's more no. sweeping. So to me that that just that just plays into his hands more than, than a guy who throws a 12-6. Like, even like Edebre Ramos, who has a good curveball. But once you leave it up like that, it, it's not good. The sweeping one is so much better to me. And I wrote about earlier this year how Nola kind of on a dime changed his entire approach with how he was getting guys out. And he kind of abandoned the two-seamer as his out pitch because he was using it a lot more as an out pitch. And then he sort of abandoned it and tried to get more guys out with the fastball. And that was when he was facing Miami a lot, and that did not nah, work. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a lot of guys who can crush yeah, the ball. Yeah. But, um, but, but it, like, it shows me, because he finally did face Miami like one more time and played really, and dominated them, basically. He pitched really well against them at the end of the season. So it shows me that this guy is always trying to figure out what works for him and what works for his opponent. And he's not afraid to fail once to succeed three more times in the future. So that is great to see because he, he's, he's very sure of his stuff. And he's got, he's got two very good pitches in the curveball and the mm-hmm. two-seamer. He's got a good fastball. And he has a working changeup, which could become a better pitch in time. But I think he's like totally head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, I think staff. his floor is a, is a number two. And like you said, we may need another well, ten I'd, stars I'd floor to him at three, that. but okay. Well, we may what? need another ten. I think his floor is a two, but we may need another, like you said, another you know uh, month or two next year to to confirm that. If his floor is a two, that's right. fantastic. But I, I I think right now he's probably around that two range. He's like he's sort of in that sort of camp with like a Carlos Carrasco or something like that. Um, you know, you know, you're gonna get like a mid three ERA. You know for the most part, and maybe a little better, maybe a little worse, but and high strikeout numbers and that kind of thing. So, great year from Nola. Finally, before I let you go, um, we did mention Tom Eshelman. Give him a grade, because I didn't put him in there originally, but give Tom Eshelman a grade for 2018. Yeah, I give him, I give him an A-. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely on the track. I mean, he won the Paul Owens Award. That's, you know, that's the best pitcher in the, in the Philly system. So, he's definitely on the track. And you know, I talked about Jake Thompson, you know, uh, it was 2016, he had a great year in, in AAA, and he looked like the next guy. But now it looks like it's Eshelman who, who's the next guy. So, it's you know, again, what have you done for me lately? And, um, you yeah, know, so I give him an A-. minus. Yeah, I, 
I echo your A minus. I think if there's one knock on him, it's that uh, I think when he got to Lehigh Valley, the strikeout numbers dipped a little bit. So that's something to watch. But his command is unbelievable. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the guy doesn't walk guys. It's really cool to see. Um, and that plays better than anything else in Philadelphia. You know, if you don't have high strikeout stuff, as long as you don't walk guys, you're going to be fine in the major leagues in Philadelphia. So Eshelman is showing that already. Um, he seems to have a lot of poise. He seems to be, you know, composed. You know, I don't know the whole book on him, but, you know, hopefully he gets the shot out of spring training. If he doesn't, he should be the first one up. But I'd imagine, and this is another podcast for another time, but I'd imagine you'd see a combination of like Nola, maybe Eikhoff, maybe Pavetta, and then two guys. Uh, or maybe Nola, Pavetta, Velasquez, and two guys. I don't know. But but something, some sort of combination of that for mm-hmm. next year. Um, would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're gonna, definitely going to sign one, one starter, if not two. Yeah. Uh, free agent. But would you – do you think Eshelman's on the on the starting rotation to start in the year next um, year? That, I mean, if they sign two more, two two starters with NOLA, that only leaves two spots. So I would say no. If they no. sign one, I'd say yes. Okay. Well, hopefully they sign two because I think – I think we need a little bit more of a we need we need assurance that we have some yeah, guys really. going into the first series of the season. Yeah, so all right, core. Um, well, pitching is still a work in progress, but it, as it shows, there are some better things on the we horizon. We had some bad students. Uh, we only gave one A. Yeah, well, it's been a tough <laughs> year. <laughs> core, thanks Back for coming to- on. All right, so that's it. Our season recap podcast is over. I want to thank you for listening. And if you got this far, congratulations. Pat on the back to you. I'll buy a beer or something like that. I don't know. Um, My thanks to everybody who contributed to this podcast. BenSound.com for the music. Also, thanks to Michael Sadowski, Corey Sharp, Kirsten Swanson, and PhilliesNation.com for giving some player grades. Thanks to Dan Walsh for coming on earlier and talking about the season with me. And Matt Breen of Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Philadelphia Daily News for giving us that insight about 2017 and looking forward to 2018. Are you looking forward to 2018? I certainly am. This is going to be a really, really exciting offseason. I think the Phillies have some decisions to make that are going to be very interesting. I don't think they can necessarily go wrong in a lot of ways. I think they can go right in a lot of ways. Uh, It's just how they go right is the question. Um, They could certainly screw up. We'll see. But we'll we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, We'll do some big offseason podcast stuff as we get rolling here and the playoffs get done. We'll do something in the meantime, though, between now and the end of the playoffs. So look forward to that. You can listen to our other podcast, Playing the Rube, on Fridays. This will come out this coming Friday. And then two Fridays after that, it's myself and Dan Walsh recapping our uh, 2009 Phillies performance uh, while we're playing Out of the Park Baseball 2018. It's really interesting, really fun. We're GMs. It's awesome. You should listen to it. Uh, every two weeks on Fridays. Phillies Nation podcast, you can hear it then. Phillies Nation podcast comes out every Monday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. And PhilliesNation.com is where you go for all your news, rumors, information, and more. Facebook.com slash Phillies Nation. Twitter at Phillies Nation. And Instagram at Phillies Nation underscore. Ha! <sighs> Season's over. 66 and 96. Not too shabby. Not as good as we hoped. 
Not as bad as we thought it would be earlier in the year. All things told, we have a lot to look forward to in 2018. We'll see you on the other side. Tim Malcolm, Philly's Nation Podcast. Catch you in a few weeks. Have a good one.